0: Tribe, where you at? I hope you ready, rising from the ashes, and it's getting heavy. Conspiracies, we got plenty, and some are scary. From Ooh. aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah. Dan Dan, and the homie, Romy. I was bugging out all the crazy things he showed uh-huh. me. Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies. Uh-huh. Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe. Hey, so wake up, wake up, get it cracking. Crackin'. Rise out it. the ashes. I know you got a passion. Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies, Ooh. other dimensions, plenty ancient history. history. Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up. We about to get into it. I know you can't get enough at home, at work. It don't matter, turn it up. Rising from the ashes. You know what's up, hey. Uh, rising from the ashes. Yo, what's up, Fire Tribe? Welcome to Rising From the Ashes. I'm Danny Unaki Dan.
1: I'm the homie Romy. Hello.
0: What's up, homie?
1: Hey, what's good, baby. Man? Oh, everything, all the time, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, today on the show we have David Matheson. David he Matheson. takes us on a galactic journey through the stars, and we talk about the concepts of good and evil, and polarity and duality, but with the constellations, and it's fucking fascinating. It's so fucking good. So good. Uh, he, he breaks it down to the ego, super ego. Uh, it's, it's a really great interview. Uh, can't say enough good things about it. Um, the other bangers that we got going on this month too. I mean, fuck, this is a great month. Fuck. <laughs> uh, if you have, if you haven't checked out episode 41 with esoteric Eddie and episode 42 with, uh, Bruce de Torres. You need to go check those out. Um, and this one is a fucking banger.
1: If you guys haven't deeply questioned and uh, pondered the concept of God this month, and I'm talking to you. You know who I'm talking to. Listeners, <laughs> lit humans, beautiful existers that... We see who watches the show. We know. We know who's naughty. We know who's nice. Okay. We, we got homies over on the Telegram. All right. So if this month has been doing the thing and making you ponder God, let us know. We think about it. Just whatever you want. Whatever it yeah. is. Whatever type of any sort of thoughts that come up at all. Just go over to Telegram and just write it down real quick. Just be like pow. Yeah. We love it. We want to hear it. We want to hear it. And we love you guys. So we want to hear what you guys also think because you're brilliant, smart motherfuckers. So just tell us. (laughs) We love you. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Also, check out the Telegram. Go jump in the Telegram chats. Also, check out the Patreon.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Roman uh, just put it up for three bucks, three dollars get the Patreon right now. Wow. So cheap. Jump on the Patreon, three dollars. You get all our new solo shows and extra bonus shows. Uh, you can't afford not to.
1: Boom! Slap!
0: Boom! You know, uh, we might only hold up the three dollars for a limited number of people, and then close it out, and then you be paying more. So
1: you want to be that VIP? Jump over there
0: now. Get at it! Uh, Why? Trying to form out that base fire tribe. The ones, the homies that are down from day one,
1: tried and true. Yup. You know. Yup. You know? yep.
0: Those are the real homies,
1: the squad.
0: And uh, yeah, go check it out, man. We got uh, lots of good stuff on there for you. Uh, and, and there's no intros on those shows. Stop. No intros to sit through. Oh my Just god. Straight meat.
1: Just straight interviews. <laughs> Damn, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. I know. I don't know what the fuck we're doing. But that's enough of that shit. Let's get into the uh, the real the real nitty gritty. new
1: news.
0: Ooh yeah, news you can trust. Angel dust, yay yay. Yo, what you got for us today, homie?
1: Well, let me tell you. Hold on. mm. Man, what am I smoking, you're asking? I'm smoking. Big fat dick
0: coming from East Oakland.
1: (laughs) Stop that slandish, (laughs) slandish nonsense. I'm smoking on a scepter. What's a scepter? A scepter is a fetish. What's a fetish? A fetish is derived from the French fetish which comes from the Portuguese fetico and this in turn from Latin, fetichilis, artificial, whatever fetish is an object believed to have supernatural powers or in particular, a human made object that has power over (laughs) others. Essentially a fetishism is the attribution of inherent value or powers to an object. So here's the deal starting this herbal smoke company a botanical company with a friend in the works it's in the process it's gonna be a while for you know hit things hit the shelf I'm just making blends of herbs right and I brought this onto the show a couple times and that me smoking these things and uh, in this one we got a uh, a bunch this is my dream blend my dreamy dream
0: blend 300 mm. uh,
1: percent mugwort Mugwort. One 100% lavender, blue vervain, mm-hmm. lemon verbana, marshmallow Ooh. root, and oh. raspberry leaf, chamomile, right. and California poppy. Mm. And then I take this tincture and then I double boil off all the alcohol and I add honeycomb and vanilla. And then you add that to the herbs. And then you put it in the paper and you smoke the paper, right? Um, and so I'm trying to get artists to make a logo and do these things. Cause I'm terrible at logo. Dan knows I'm fucking terrible at logos. <laughs> like I'm so bad at logos. I, I have great ideas, but God fucking forbid I do any sort of visual art. Um, I like to do the, the music, but visual art is not my fucking thing. Right. Um, so I was talking to my one of my exes, who's an amazing artist, and I said, hey, you know, I want to hire you to do this. You know, no, don't cut me any homie deals. I want to hire you as an artist to make this logo for me. Right. And she says, first thing she says back, and this classic, why she's never go to your ex for business. (laughs) She says, what's wrong with me? (laughs) But uh, I was just like, yeah, Scepter Smokes. Right. I sent her a couple designs that I had and she's like, she she's like scepter like doesn't make sense like no one knows what that is and you want things to be catchy and marketing and you want it to be easily grasped the the you know the eyes and i was like i was so kind of i was kind of set back by it honestly i was a little bit hurt a little set back um because i know it's not true i know that scepter smokes is a great fucking name And what I want it to do, Dan, is I want it to inspire people to look up these things, right? We're creating a product that is is real. I want to create real things for real people. Like I'm never going to create something that will askew the humans away from the true nature of being. And through these herbs entering your body, right? I like to smoke people smoke people have been smoking for so gosh darn long dan you'd be smoking right now look he'd be looking like a dragon
0: i am a dragon
1: he is a dragon okay
0: my, and, my other name is dick dragon in the sands of time
1: dick dragon
0: the medieval sands private eye
1: <laughs> i can i'm visualizing <laughs> the flip book comic book right now just oh yeah Ooh, is it like it's modern uh new york, or like 1980 steamy new york no. alleyway and he's a dragon with a uh, no, top coat no. no oh it's a
0: medieval private eye <laughs> so it's, a it's medieval, medieval times private eye he's a detective in the medieval era dick dan yeah and uh his name is dick <laughs> dragon <laughs> dragon uh, yeah that's that's my uh that's my idea Dick, Dick Dragon. Dick Dragon through the sands of time. <laughs> he said, Dick
1: Dragon through the Woo! That's some good shit. He thought that one out. Ugh. And so, anyways, <laughs> I, you know, I, I love scepters. They're cool. And then I started just looking, I mean, to go back to the earliest um, interpretations of human existence, right? Like through hieroglyphs in ancient Egypt and Sumer, you know, and um, Aztec gods have scepters. Like it's, there's always some sort of scepter being held by a deity or a god and, and then it Extends further out to us, where humans have held scepters. There's the royal scepters. There's, you know, so you have the you have the connection. Anyway, I think it's. I thought it was fucking great name, right? So she she hits me with that. I was like, so does that mean you don't want to make it or what? And then she didn't respond to me for like twenty four hours, and I was just like, whatever. So I found another artist. Anyways, labels are coming, y'all. Point I'm getting at is, I started looking up (laughs) started looking up stuff to send this. This send me a box. Sin, uh, I, I will. I will send you a box. Uh, but I started looking. Send
0: me, looking some, up, uh, send me a, a little variety pack.
1: Oh, I got you. I got you. I'm actually, I did make some really shitty labels and I got them printed out at Staples and I got some sample box I'm sending out to my partner person that we're doing this thing with. Anyways, let me finish this fucking story here. Okay. So I was <laughs> looking up right. stuff on Google to send. Over to her to try to like, you know, say, hey, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I think it's a special connection and why I think it's a, a symbolic name for this smoke, right? It's a scepter. You're wielding the scepter. And then I found this word fetish, which we all know here in America as what's your fetish, right? Mm-hmm.
0: What's
1: what's your fetish? What's your, yeah. what's your kink? What's your sex fetish? What's your and fetish? So, when i when i saw this word fetish i was like ah, weird and i was also at the same time looking up like books by john d and was like getting into like some deep occult looking into stuff because you know i'm just trying to keep up on my keep sharp my toes and uh then i was like whoa that's so cool i i just just felt like it was um it was meant to be at at this time that i found this word fetish so i'm just going to give a little uh background and history um on it, And then I'm going to jump over to an herb, and then I'm going to pass it off to you. So here we go. History on the word fetish from Slickypedia, from Dick Dragon in the Sands of Time, <laughs> My, and his slippery friend, Slickpedia. Initially, the Portuguese Slick- developed the concept of the fetish to refer to the objects used in religious practices by West African natives. The contemporary Portuguese fetico may refer to more neutral terms, such as a charm, enchantment, or abracadabra, or more potentially offensive terms such as juju, witchcraft, witchery, conjuration, or bewitchment. The concept was popularized in Europe circa 1757, when Charles de Brosses used it in comparing West African religion to the magical aspects of ancient Egyptian religion. Later, Auguste Comte employed the concept in this theory of evolution of religion, wherein he posited fetishism as the earliest, most primitive stage, followed by polytheism and monotheism. However, ethnography and anthropology would classify some artifacts of monotheistic religions as fetishes. The 18th century intellectuals who articulated the theory of fetishism encountered this notion of descriptions of Guinea, contained in such popular voyage collections as Ramusio's Viaggio e Navigazione in 1550 and De Bris India Orientalis 1597, Purchas's Hacluitis Palsmus in 1625. Churchill's Collection of the Voyages and Travels in 1732, Astley's A New General Collection of Voyages and Travels in 1746, and Prevost Histoire générale des Voyages in 1748. The theory of fetishism was articulated at the end of 18th century G.W.F. Hegel in Lectures of the Philosophy of History. According to Hegel, Africans were incapable of abstract thought. (laughs) Wow. Their ideas and actions were governed by impulse, therefore a fetish object could be anything that was then arbitrarily imbued with imaginary powers. In the nineteenth and twentieth century, Tyler and McLean, historians of religion, held that the concept of fetishism fostered a shift from attention away from the relationship between people and God. To focus instead on a relationship between people and material objects, and this, in turn, allowed for the establishment of false models of casualty for natural events. This they saw as religious fetishism or Santa Claus on Christmas Day, and does not consider the Birth of Jesus, a central problem historically or sociologically. So yeah, that's uh that's fetishism in a, in a WAP a for you. And then I found a sweet book. Um well let, let's touch up on fetishism there for a second, and this terrible theory of fetishism that was articulated at the end of the 18th century by G. W. F. Eagle. And I'm looking at a picture of this guy right now, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, was a German philosopher and is considered to be one of the most important figures in German idealism and one of the founding figures of Western philosophy, with his influence extending to the entire range of the contemporary philosophical issues. My problem with these, you know, Western occultism and, you know, magic and all and these, you know, characters like John Dee and Crowley and stuff is for this exact kind of instance. According to Hegel, Africans were incapable of abstract thought and their ideas and actions were governed by impulse. And therefore, a fetish object could be anything that was arbitrarily imbued with magical powers. I mean, it's just... Like, I get it, right? They're not as, you know, intellectually as ramped up as, you know, some of these, you know, German philosophers, but also they haven't been growing up reading the German philosophies. They're not given the same background. So the narrow mindedness of these types of, you know, people like G.W.F. Hegel and other philosophers of the Western movement, that's kind of like my big issue with it. Other than that, I kind of vibe with a lot of the, you know, the stuff of hermeticism and the other Western philosophies stem out of that. But other than that, it's just like, man, you know, give the fucking Africans a break, dude. Like, you kidding me? They're amazing and they have other beliefs that you don't. Get over it, bud. Yeah,
0: man. (sighs) Fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you go with hippie sticks? I liked hippie sticks. Oh, my God. He doesn't like scepter smoke.
1: Oh, my God. Okay, like I'm going to need... Scepter's, I'm gonna, Scepters is cool. No, no, no. You know what? Smoking you know what? I'm going to let y'all decide. If you are listening to this and you're in the Telegram chat, let me know what you think. Scepter Smokes or Hippie Sticks? Because I'll tell you what, my business partner right now is not going to like us switching names this late in the game. So, But I would like to hear you guys' feedback, and it's probably going to stay Scepter Smokes. Um, because okay. we're having five different flavor blends. Tap to the five different Mm -hmm. elements okay earth air water fire and ether and uh and then they're going to be tied to five major arcana of the tarot deck so each pack that you buy is going to have a tarot card slipped in there with the symbolic uh, representation of the herbs to that so it's all deeply intertwined i'm telling you guys it's very important and i friend who she's like deep into, you know, the tarot and uh, a lot of that kind of history. And she's a woman. So she has this deep divine feminine, uh, you know, knowledge that, you know, just doesn't encompass, uh, uh, my Mosley self sometimes. And it's good to have this partner, um, here for this product, because I think it's, it's, it's better represented that way. Um, a lot of times and, um, And anyways, so here's another thing, okay? I want to let you guys know about a magical fucking thing called polyricus ant extract, okay? Polyricus is a family of ants, and I started taking this herb, okay? They call it an herb. In China, it's called the herb of kings, okay? So I started pairing this with pine pollen, right? And if you go and slide over onto Patreon, you'll see that I just interviewed the CEO of of Lost Empire Herbs, where you can buy this amazing product, and I'm just going to read the article that they have about the benefits of this uh, product um, off of LostEmpireHerbs.com. Polyricus ant extract is a natural supplement used by the people of China for many centuries. Despite the fact that there are more, 150, there are more than 450 ant species, only polyricus has been officially approved by the China Ministry of Public Health. Studies have shown that polyricus ant extract contains eight amino acids, which have a direct influence on energy levels and endurance. And besides amino acids, this supplement is rich in iron, calcium, vitamins B12, B2, and B1, as well as zinc. The good news for those looking to increase and maintain their muscle mass is that polyricus ant extract contains around 67% of protein. Deeper analysis revealed that ant extract also contains some hormones and steroid-like substances and traces superoxide dismutase, which is considered to be a very strong antioxidant, and adenosine triphosphate, in charge of energy transfer. Furthermore, anti-inflammatory properties come from the polyractide or polyra- uh, polyractide and polyractitide as indicated by German research in 2009. This type of ant extract comes from the polyricous ants caught in their natural habitat in the wilderness of Asia. Many who enjoy ginseng are aware of its benefits, but ant extracts provide even stronger effect, and it's why it's called the herb of kings. For this and other reasons, ant extract belongs to the same group of tonics like astragalus, Reishi mushrooms, ginseng, and some of the most prominent benefits of polyrhicus ant extract are increased vitality, better circulation, and replenished chi. It is known to regulate yin and yang and has anti aging properties and improves sexual function through increased libido and fertility. It is likewise useful in those suffering from insomnia, stress, and constipation. From a scientific point of view, polyricus ant extract is in charge of increasing the amount of DNA and RNA in human cells which is one of the most powerful ways to slow down aging and speed up tissue rejuvenation. It is used in more serious conditions like hepatitis B by fortifying the immune reaction. Yeah, um, that's it. If you guys want to look up more about polyricus ant extract, I highly recommend you do it. I take it, and I feel fucking great. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: and look how normal Roman is.
1: <laughs> yeah, you want to be normal like me, eat ants.
0: oh man sorry Um, that's
1: a lot of words
0: very wordy you're very wordy today uh so when we talk to david matheson uh we talk about ophiuchus we talk uh and he gives a correlation to like jesus and moses in this interview uh and and when he was talking about ophiuchus i was looking up on the internet Uh, what constellation is opposite of Ophiuchus, because there's a lot of adversary talk, you know, the moon is the adversary to the sun. Satan is the adversary to God. So I was wondering like, what is the opposite of Ophiuchus? And when I looked it up, it was Osiris. And I was like, oh, well that's really fucking interesting. And so I uh, looked up some like Osiris versus Ophiuchus type shit. And, I found this article right here that comes from graveworm.com, and it's uh, just not an author. It's just the the site. Uh, It's Ophiuchus as Asclepius. I don't know if I'm saying that name right, but A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-S. Asclepius. That's how I'm going to say it. The Greeks equated Ophiuchus, the serpent wrestler, with Asclepius, their god of medicine, who used snakes in healing rituals. The staff of Asclepius, with two snakes entangling it, is to this day used as a symbol of medicine. But Asclepius was not the originator god of healing. In Western myth, the first such deity is Isis, the Egyptian goddess of healing. It would seem that at some point, the Greeks, with their patriarchal designs, subsumed the myth of Isis, filtered through Ophiuchus, and produced the god Asclepius. But the cult of Isis must have run deeply, and her place of veneration was not dispelled by changing her name and gender. Thus, In a final fit of patriarchal wisdom, the Greeks expunged her from the rightful place in the Zodiac, thereby reducing what had become their own god of healing to a mere footnote to the tales from Mount Olympus. It is true that the Greeks needed to remove one of the original 13 constellations from the Zodiac, defined as those constellations on the ecliptic and through which the sun passes in the course of a year in order to accomplish their desire to have each sign rule for an even 30 degrees of sky. But when they would choose Ophiuchus, Asclepius over Scorpio can only be because of his goddess origins in Egypt. As one of the most powerful deities on par with Osiris and Thoth, all of whom answered only to Ra. Asclepius enters prominence in Greek myth with the death of Orion. Orion, the great hunter, having already been blinded by uh, Enopion for ravaging his daughter Merope, was later cured with the aid of Vulcan and decided to instead dwell with Artemis, goddess of the hunt, who is associated with the moon and the Roman goddess Diana. Unfortunately, Orion rapes one of her followers. Some say he raped Artemis herself, so she sends the scorpion to poison him, which it does, killing him. Enter Asclepius, pupil of Chiron, who is able to cure him of the scorpion's poison and thus resurrect him. After this, Orion ends up in the sky by varying means and various stories, as the constellation we know exactly opposite the constellation of the Scorpion, Scorpio. That cad Orion, from his new height, then spied the Seven Pleiades and began to covet them. Asclepius part in the Orion myth is short but far from insignificant. Zeus, recognizing the actions of Asclepius, transforms the mortal into the immortal Ophiuchus and places him in the sky, some say as punishment, some as veneration, with his heel ever grinding down on the back of the scorpion. Orion, it is well known, is equated with the Egyptian god, Osiris, and the healing deity's role in the story of Osiris is treated with the full importance it deserves. And then this goes into Isis. Isis was the sister and wife of Osiris. Both were born of Nut, with the aid of Thoth. It seems Nut, the wife of Ra, had a bit of trouble with fidelity and found herself pregnant, but not by Ra. Ra thus cursed her That her child could be born in no month of no year. At this point, Thoth, another of Nut's lovers, steps in and plays a game akin to checkers against the goddess of the moon, winning from her the 72nd part of each day of the 360-day year, creating five days that were no month of no year. Nut is then able to deliver Osiris on the first of these days, and Ra's curse is broken. She then gives birth to Horus on the second day, followed by Set, Isis, and uh, Nephthys, on the remaining days. Osiris grows up to be the great civilizer, the god who brought agriculture and civilization to Egypt, eradicating cannibalism from the land. He decides to then spread the arts of agriculture and civilization to all the lands of the world, and sets off, leaving his wife, sister Isis, in charge. This enrages his brother, Set, who conspires with 72 other to kill Osiris. Set and his conspirators trick Osiris into climbing into a coffin, at which point they seal it and hurl it into the Nile. Upon hearing the news, Isis consults Thoth and he advises her to hide the papyrus by the river, lest they come for her next. In order to protect her, he sends seven scorpions to accompany her. At some point in the form of a hawk, Isis finds Osiris' corpse, and their brief reunion creates Horus. Unfortunately, Horus, son of Isis, is stung and killed by one of the scorpions. Ra, taking pity on her, sends Sloth to her aid and he teaches her a spell that will heal her son. Sure enough, the poison is extracted and Horus is resurrected. In the meantime, the body of Osiris in its coffin floats out to the sea and comes ashore in Biblis, where a sycamore tree sprouts and encases the coffin. Isis hears of this and goes to reclaim her husband's body, which, after some trouble, she succeeds in doing. She hides his remains and goes to find their son, Horus, but in the meantime, Set finds the body, and fearing the new healing powers of Isis, cuts it up into 14 pieces and scatters them far and wide. Eventually, Isis is able to recover 13 of the pieces, leaving a shrine at every place she found one. The 14th piece, his genitals, was, however, eaten by a fish. Still, Isis manages to reassemble Osiris, and with the help of Anubis and Nephthys, does manage to resurrect him, at which point he becomes the god of the underworld or god of the dead and takes his place in the heavens as the constellation Orion. At the time, Orion said at sunrise well, on the winter repeat solstice. Repeat that last
1: part again. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just like the sentence before uh, putting Orion into the stars. Please. Sorry. Thank you.
0: Okay. Still, Isis manages to reassemble Osiris, and with the help of Anubis and Nephethysis, does manage to resurrect him, at which point he becomes the god of the underworld or god of the dead and takes his place in the heavens as the constellation Orion.
1: Fuck yeah. All right, so let me just really quick I'm gonna stop you right here. I'm just gonna pause you. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna interject real quick because this story is one of the first stories, one of the first Egyptian stories I had heard right because i was always Uh really like obsessed with osiris i was like who is this osiris character and why it's so cool you know (laughs) he's got so much history (laughs) and he does he's got a lot of fucking history granted he and uh but i just thought it was really funny that uh well uh, there's symbolism there with the, the number 13 and then there being supposedly 13 and sometimes 12 Mm-hmm. zodiacal signs but i was wondering with the number 14 if that was gonna but look it said the the balls were swallowed by the fish which is pisces the penis it's the testicles uh
0: isis is recover. uh isis is able to recover 13 of the pieces leaving a shrine at every place she found one the 14th piece his genitals
1: genitals so I I personally thought testicles and the first thing I thought was nut is his mom is the uh, the goddess of the sky the Egyptian goddess of the <laughs> yeah. sky and so it's like nutless orion or Osiris so Orion is Osiris without balls and go on please
0: okay uh, at that time Orion set us set at sunrise on the winter solstice thereby symbolically entering the underworld to be reborn as he rises uh, heliically on the summer solstice. Uh, Ophiuchus as Isis. There can be little doubt that Ophiuchus is Acephalus. In fact, most sources that recount the myth of Ophiuchus begin by explaining that she was the Greek god Acephalus, uh, then go on to recount his story. But why Asclepius changed names when Zeus made him immortal is not clear. It could be that the constellation he became already had a distinct name and character, Ophiuchus, which is now lost to history. The name change at least seems to allude to the fact that the Greeks simply hijacked a much older myth and retooled it to their own needs. The Ophiuchus, literally in Greek snake bearer is isis also is of little doubt both isis and asclepius gained notoriety by resurrecting a person struck down by the poison of a scorpion They both also resurrect the same god under different names, who is to become the constellation Orion. Snakes also feature prominently in stories of the two healing deities, as does the goddess of the moon. In many ways, the Greek myth of Orion and Asclepius seemed to be a ragged echo of the tale of Osiris and Isis, filtered through millennia and the politics of place and time. But most compelling to declaring Ophiuchus Isis is Ophiuchus's position in the sky. In most all ancient myths, a point in time and a solstice or equinox, especially, is defined by both the rising and setting constellations. Fittingly, as Orion Osiris dies, sets at sunrise on the winter solstice, Scorpio does rise, but with Ophiuchus on its back, rising uh he- heliically and as Scorpio dies when Orion rises heliocally in the summer, Ophiuchus also is setting, driving the Scorpion down into the underworld beneath her. In fact, a more accurate observation of the sky belies the fact that Ophiuchus is the true astronomical opposite of Orion, as she is the constellation closest to being 180 degrees away from him. So saying in myth, the opposite of Osiris Orion, god of the dead, was none other than Isis, goddess of healing, or the living, thus astronomically as well as mythologically, Isis is certainly Ophiuchus. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, so then missing Ophiuchus is, Given the roles of Ophiuchus Isis and the scorpion when linked to the tale of the Osiris Orion, it doesn't take much logic to see which sign should be expunged from the Zodiac. If indeed one must go, surely that creature which killed Orion and slew the offspring of Osiris should be denigrated the rubbish heap of myth unworthy of mention. Instead, the Greeks removed Ophiuchus, a goddess of the living who could resurrect the dead, And left in the villain, a mere animal, the only reason for so doing, as stated earlier, seemed to be the origins of Ophiuchus as the powerful and wise Egyptian goddess Isis, the mother, goddess, and protector of Pharaoh, did not sit well with their new patriarchal outlook on the world. We feel she should thus be restored to her former glory, not only to retain the original concept of the 13-constellation zodiac, but also to retain the memory of her and her contributions to humanity.
1: I'd be interested Uh, to uh, talk to David strictly about this exact thing because, I mean, we go into this, you know, in the latter half of the interview as we start to break yeah. down a few gifts but we do it on a on a on a on a more of an actual spiritual path um yeah. as opposed to a mythological path so but granted like it's all in there but we start getting pretty deep and spiritual at the end of this conversation
0: for sure man um yeah it's it's so super interesting um that Ophiuchus would be Osiris because, you know, we also often talk about I, the loss of Isis. the goddess. Yeah, Isis. Uh, we often talk about the loss of the, the goddess and uh, the removal of the 13th zodiac and how 13 applies to the letter M and the letter M applies to Mary and mother and all these other things. And uh, we talked about it with uh, the bloodlines and the, the Templar being executed on the 13th. Um, And how the 13th, Friday the 13th is a divine feminine day because of Freya and the 13 is the M. So it's divine. And so it's very interesting that they chose to get rid of this. And it's also the healing and it's also the female. And that's a lot of the things that we're missing in the world today is all this fakeness with the synthetic healing and bullshit. And, uh, big pharma ruling everything and plants and herbs being demonized as satanic or some stupid fucking shit like that. Um, so it's super interesting that, uh, it's, it's part of the stars, man. It's, uh, yeah. Yes. It, it happened in the constellations happened on the planet. You know, it's, a uh, it's a trip, man. It's like, it's almost like, uh, the, the, the planets in the constellations control what hap- what plays out in this realm that we live in which kind of goes into like um astrology and that whole belief you know uh that the gods their places in the sky control what happens to us here on the planet well yeah that's the,
1: that's the mythology stories is kind of astrology playing out In a physical sense, you know, if they were to describe Mm -hmm. energetically what's happening to society through astrotheology or whatever, by studying the stars at that time, then it, then it is kind of an interpretation of that, you know, and it's, it's plugged into the story of the stars, the story of the Titans and the gods, but also plugged into on an energetic sense of the human spirit on its journey. And so there's that tie into it all and. It's rather fascinating. What's interesting is that, um, you know, when we had Micah Dank on talking about astrotheology, and when we have David on now, that none of them are either of them are into actual astrology, like you know, <laughs> through like birthday astrology and stuff like that. So, but it it ties in. So I think when you start to look at astrology tied in with astro theology they make a lot of sense together right and then that would yeah, that makes would...
0: sense yeah go ahead
1: yes 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 it's crazy it's i was crazy.
0: gonna say that it also makes sense that you know um a lot of these stories that we get are just astrological stories uh they held high importance because whatever happened in the sky was going to happen here so if you knew what was going to happen in the sky you could predict what was going to happen on the planet so they kept these stories around, so that 's why uh you know the whole thing with um uh the Flamingo guy flamenco, flamenco Fomenko. Don, no Don, L. Don Flamingo from mike tyson 's <laughs> punch out uh, uh, you know he talks about the missing thousand years because he compares all these things and he gets uh, like the same consistency, but I think it's maybe they're just, they're just using the same mess over and over again and, and using different names in them. And that's kind of becomes the history uh, because that's what we find because they held that in such high importance. And and, and so I know it kind of makes me wonder about that. And it makes me wonder about a lot of things really, but
1: as it should, uh, that's what it's, that's what all this is for. Is to yeah. make us all wonder, like we're not fucking. We don't have the answers, but we're sure as shit finding them out together, baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, that's what we're here for. Fuck, to yes. find this shit out.
1: Also, Figure real it quick, all out. before before you know, we get off the intro here. Um, I want to just shout out to anybody, anybody who has any sort of a uh, universe. uh, ability to get books from universities, let us know. Direct message us because I'm looking over here on Cambridge University Press, Cambridge Core, the sweet book on magic and fetishism and I can't look at it (laughs) because I'm not a member of Cambridge University. So if anybody has any university ties, we want some of these fucking books that you can only Mm -hmm. be a university member to get. So I just want to yeah. throw that out there trying to be resourceful
0: yeah and anybody that uh, thinks they want to come on the show or has something cool to say uh, hit us up too uh, or if you think somebody else would be a good guest on the show let us know uh, you know if there's any artists out there that want to do art for shirts for us or talk to us we can work out a business plan like that yes. uh, hit us up about that also uh, you know the things the things the things yeah baby um, we love you all thank you fire tribe for listening and uh here is david matheson, matheson. wake wake <laughs> um hey, everybody thank you for tuning in to today's show
1: we are rising from the ashes and we as the fire tribe will rise awaken our eyes Beyond what is seemingly laid upon us, we can extend our consciousness to the further end. Us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com.
0: Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Dan Unaki, Dan. And I'm the homie, Romy. Hello, everybody. And hello, Dan. Hello, hello. Today on the show, we have astrotheologist (gasps) David Matheson. How are you doing, David? Hey, hey.
2: (laughs) I'm so nervous. Hey, Dan (laughs) Roman. It's great to be on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me over.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure, man.
2: Uh, so give us a little bit
0: of uh, back info on uh, um, your education and how you got into astrotheology.
2: Yeah, great. Well, as we were chatting just before we clicked the button to start recording, I'm from California originally, not not too far away from where you guys are both sitting. Kind of in between is where I grew up. <laughs> and when I was still 17 years old, I went off to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. So that's in New York, about Excellent. 50 miles up the Hudson. Yeah, about 50 miles up the Hudson. So that was 1987. Uh, I turned 18 like three days after I got there. So, uh, wow. Ronald Reagan must have been was a still a the president. Great, <laughs> must have been a pretty great <laughs> a time kid ago. to get
0: into there, huh?
2: yeah thanks
0: um it's you know, <laughs> a pretty prestigious school like you don't get accepted very easily to there
2: yeah i had uh you know I had some great teachers growing up really did um I went to a public school in San Mateo, California, and you have to get teacher recommendations and sports coach recommendations, and you actually have to get a congressman to nominate wow. you. So Holy Congressman Christ. Tom Lantos. Yeah, Tom Lantos uh, <laughs> put me on his list to go there and he, he's passed away now. But, um, you know, I'm grateful to all the people who helped me go there. And, uh, you know, it was a great, I met a lot of really amazing people that I'm still friends with uh, while I was there. And so after you go to the military academy, then you're in the army for Uh, you've got a five-year commitment, at least at the time. I don't know how it's all changed since then. This is obviously a long, long time ago. The Cold War was still going on. (laughs) Um, And uh, and then I was in the infantry, so I I became an infantry officer. I went to the 82nd Airborne, which is in North Carolina, and uh, spent a lot of time at Fort Benning, Georgia, which is the home of the infantry. And I was also stationed in Texas at Fort Hood. And I had the opportunity to go back and teach at West Point. So, um, just to round it out, you know, you asked about education. So I got to go back and teach at West Point, which was a fantastic opportunity after kind of after your first assignments, first you're a platoon leader, and then you're a company commander, and then you get to kind of branch out into other things. So I decided I wanted to go back. I had some really fantastic professors at West Point, so I wanted to go back and they, and they kind of helped me to get back there. And so West Point sent me to, Texas A&M for grad school. So I had an opportunity to go there and get a master's degree in literature. And um, so I was teaching in the, yeah, I was, I was teaching in uh, the Department of English and Philosophy oh, at oh, West Point. Oh, so, so it was really, it was really uh, just a great experience. I'm really grateful for that experience. Obviously there's good and bad in everything in the army. Um, the Army's no different there, mm-hmm. but uh, what was I going to say about Texas A and I mean, that was a great experience too. And I, uh, I wrote my thesis on Beowulf, uh, oh. and and uh, Ooh, old English, old English literature. Yeah, like the poetry of old English. And old English is so different from what we speak as English today. It's not Shakespeare. Shakespeare is like early modern English. There was there was Middle English before Shakespeare, and you can hardly understand that. That's like Mm -hmm. Chaucer, Chaucer and Canterbury Tales and stuff. And if you don't have a translated version of that without a lot of educational focus on Middle English, you're not going to be able to read it. And then Old English Mm -hmm. is even uh, different still. So what we're living in, in fact, I'll just finish with this thought. We're living the, the, the language of English that we speak is like a ruin of three or four different languages, but they're in. They're in collapsed form. So like old English, the, the nouns actually inflected. So a stone, if, if you throw the stone, it'll be stana. It'll have a different ending than if the stone rolls off the hill as the subject of the sentence and hits you in the head, then it's the subject. Then it's just ston. And so they, they changed even the nouns mm. and we we just have a remnant of that with our pronouns like if you say i hit the dog that's a different pronoun than the dog bit me you change it the only place we change it still is in the pronouns but they used to change it in every single noun they did all the the verb you know inflections that changed like spanish or even more like greek they even had a different verb Um, form for if two people did something rather than three people did something. So it'd be a different verb. Anyway, it's really complicated. And what we have is like a collapsed ruin of all these different languages that feed into English. I could go on and on about it, but uh, can I I ask a
1: question on that really quick? Yeah. Sure. Um, So that's, Okay. So you have like the Germanic root language, right? Which is where English is stemmed from old English. Mm-hmm. And now what we have mm-hmm. <laughs> from our broken societal, uh, language that we have now is English. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, the Latin based language and, mm-hmm. uh, but you have like the Vatican, which is like in the middle of those, right? Like it's kind of like a blend of, of those languages. Like it's interesting because they, uh are like you know in my opinion you know kind of like the leaders of some of the the new world order situation that's going on and just thinking about root language which is something that we you know try to depict a lot of these um stories and everything they have like it's just fascinating just to to trace it all back but what's your opinion on on like the the blending of the germanic and the latin-based languages and If that question makes any sense at all. It's a great
2: question. There's some, there's some really interesting theories that, oh, you know, English was constructed in order to, you know, do mind control over you and like the word you. I've heard some very, you know, interesting, although I haven't researched it. So I would say speculative. Maybe there's evidence, but sometimes. Some things are speculative, but oh, yes. for instance, people will say, oh, you know, the word you is calling you a female sheep because a you yeah. is a female oh, sheep. So every yeah. time yeah. they say that, you know, um, it's magic, which magic is, you know, spells. Germanic Spelling seems is- like
1: it would have some sort of strange occultic ties to it, you know, some sort of weird ugh.
2: Yeah, well, and and sometimes people think that or say that, well, it's all to enslave you. But actually, uh an author I like very much, Alvin Boyd Kuhn, wrote a book called The Esoteric Meaning of the Alphabet or something. It's something similar to that. Ah. Esoteric, esoteric yep. meaning of the alphabet. And he gives all these amazing uh, examples and analysis that show that it's really uplifting. It's not yeah. it can be used just like martial arts can be used to bully people or to protect you know people yeah. from from what's bad. I believe that these powerful esoteric systems can be used to uplift or to downpress. So um, yeah, language is so important and uh, everything that I'm researching about the myths is arguing that they are using a coded language, an esoteric, celestial language of metaphor. And language at its heart is really metaphor. It's metaphor to get an idea from my skull over to your ears and into your processor. How am I going to get that idea there? I have to use tricks. I have to, I mean, because it's hard. Even when mm-hmm. we find that out in the army, you get it. You're like, what are you guys doing up on that hill? I told you to take that hill over there and (laughs) no no no, that's not what you said you said and like the message just gets mixed up so easily that we have to use these techniques to try and get it across to someone else and it's magical if you can even get an idea from one head to another head um but you know specifically specifically yeah we have old norse is uh close uh old frisian there's um you know Old English is sounds much more like German, like the Lord's Prayer. I'll say a little bit of the Lord's Prayer in Old English. It starts out, Fader Ure. So they rolled their R's, we think, just like they still roll them in uh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. Like in Scotland, yeah. they'll still say yeah. a kirk. Instead of church, they'll say kirk, oh, which weird. is the hard the, kirk. You're so good at they, they that. Haven't pal- <laughs> they haven't palatized it down to a ch. That came later. That was yeah. like a lazier way of saying uh-huh, church is uh-huh. like takes less energy to say it in kirk, and they'll say garage. Like they'll put the, they'll put the syllable always on the uh, emphasis, always on the first. And that's what we did in old English. But anyway, go ahead. You are going to say something wrong. I just,
1: I, I had i I'm going to probably have a lot of these and I'm going to try to keep <laughs> <get> myself contained. <laughs> but I was thinking about when you had, it takes less energy to speak this certain way thinking about energy yeah. is one of the most yeah. valuable, precious things that we have and uh thinking about like the chakra energy system and your throat chakra is very yeah. important and then using that muscle in your mouth to speak and how connect how more connected it will actually make you to use that energy and and maybe that is like some sort of form of uh societal. Uh, engineering, wow, that's fascinating. I Man, that's going... a
2: great. That's a great. No, that's a great interjection. I'm glad that I paused there because, really, the names of the divine were held to be sacred, and those vowel sounds that you would chant. The different temples had different vowels associated with them. In fact, what we can maybe get in, we can touch on, like the temple yeah. at Delphi but the the language itself in fact all the ancient myths around the world are preserved in the form of poetry it's always in verse the mm-hmm. the iliad and the odyssey are verse the the cosmogony or theogony or theogony theogony of hesiod of ancient greece is even very ancient he's talking about creation and the titans and the you know, the Olympians and yeah. Gaia and all the all the kind of early battles of you know, the first cyclops, that's all in verse. And this is not just a factor in Greece, it's worldwide. If you go to the Americas, the Popovu or if you go to um, you know different societies that preserve their sacred stories in the form of oral, it's Verse, It's or it's chant or it's, um, you know, singing, even singing. So language is super important. Actually, I kind of wandered into this um, just by your question of tell me about your educational background. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, what I was going to say, the, the Lord's Prayer is Fader Ura. You can see that's our father. Yeah. And then it's Fudze Art on Hefnam. That's thou that are in heaven. Um, how does it go? Tutti art on see the nama yeherchod. See vin vin is thine or yours, nama is name, um see is Nama
0: in German. Yeah, because
2: it's yeah. close that's close see to the Spanish nama. too, Yama. Yeah, Yamar, that's right. Um that's interesting. And, um, yeah, Sivin Nama means so thy name. Yeherchod means hallowed or holied. And then it says Tobakuma Vin Richa. That means thy kingdom come. But they say Tobakuma, which means come, Vin thy, your Richa, which is spelled like rice, but it's pronounced Richa. And that's, that means kingdom. That's like Reich in German, right? Ah. So, um. It means a kingdom or a, you know, uh, the third Reich was actually the third empire. There was the Roman empire, the, then there was the Holy Roman empire. And then there was the third Reich anyway, not to get off into conspiracy stuff, but you asked Roman. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, no, that's, that's <laughs> fantastic.
0: We love that around here, by the way.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, if you don't believe in, if you don't believe in conspiracy stories, you better start like, uh. Like Jeffrey, uh, Rush says in Pirates of the Caribbean, you best start believing in ghost stories because <laughs> you're <laughs> in one. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're in one. Wow. Um, so anyway, um, that, that was what I was studying. And then I got an opportunity to go back and teach at West Point, which was fantastic. And, uh. And so here I am today. (laughs) That was a long time ago, actually, gentlemen. That was a long time ago. (laughs)
0: Um, I heard a show with you, and you said that you grew up uh, kind of in the Bible, uh, studying the Bible on Sundays and stuff and reading a lot of the Bible. And then your dad took you to go see the stars and everything and uh, was showing you, like, astrology or astronomy, I guess, more so than not astrology. And then you kind of, like, ended up, Putting those kind of things together later in life, and it's always so interesting. Kind of the things that happen to us early in our life kind of sets the stage for you know our future or our destiny later on in life. And uh, so, yeah, if you could talk a little bit about that, that'd be awesome too.
2: Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for listening to some of my other stuff, and um, yeah, all my podcasts are in an archive or all the ones that are still available or most of the ones that are still available are in an archive on my website. So uh, I'll put this one in there too. Excellent. Um, so people can, people can check it out in the future, but yeah, you got it um, pretty, pretty right. I, I didn't really go to church regularly growing up. We were, mm-hmm. we did go to church, but it was more casual or more. Um, it wasn't strict. I was not brought up in a strict literalist, um, kind of upbringing growing up in California that you might, you know, there are, there are people in all over the, you know, all over the country that are deeply influenced by that, but it was really in the army that I became much more, um, (laughs) aggressive, (laughs) strict, (laughs) virulent about my, um, I really kind of dove into Christianity and it was a, it was, was as a result of a few things, questioning things about myself, like, why why am I so messed up? You know, why do I say those kinds of things to my girlfriend, even when I don't want to? Or, you know, things like that. Like, what's wrong with me? And important uh, questions and to was, ask. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was searching like a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would say even going to West Point is a kind of a searching, um, kind of signing up for a pretty intense program like that. And I continue signing up for more intense programs, um, you know, like Ranger school and, and things like that. But um, because you're looking for something, something actually inside yourself. And it's the same thing. I believe that people, when they turn to the ancient wisdom of any tradition, they're looking for something there. And, and I was looking for something. And so I dove really hard into Literalist Christianity became basically like a born again. You know, I got baptized again, even though I was baptized as an infant. That kind of that kind of thing. Like as an Mm -hmm. adult in the army, and the army has chaplains. And you know, at the time I was wrestling with all these things. I was in the 82nd Airborne, so I was jumping out one side of the airplane. I was one of the. I was the for a while. I was the officer who jumps out first the personnel officer for the battalion to make sure that you find everybody (laughs) after the jump, because they're jumping at night. You got to get accountability that everybody went, who's still on the plane? Who's missing? Who might be hanging in the trees somewhere that you got to go find? The chaplain would jump out the other door first. So it was my position in the battalion, jumped out one door first and the chaplain jumped out the other door first because the chaplain had to get there. Someone was mortally wounded on a jump to assist them you know in their Mm -hmm. transition to the next world that was that's the idea so he and i were always jumping at the same time we were in the same kind of so i was talking to him about all these issues and you know he said well you have to understand this and you know help me out with a lot of a lot of things but basically i became a literalist christian and became you know even more and more severe as i went along um but over time um I, uh, after I got out of the army is when I really started to encounter the connections between the myths and the stars. So I had already, as you said, Dan, I had already loved the stars from when I was a child. I would already loved the myths from when mm. I was a child. Um, and I didn't have any problem loving the myths, but believing that well, oh, the Bible is true and all these other myths are myths. Um, uh, but later after I got out of the army, um, uh, I encountered the work of Graham Hancock, whom you guys may know of Graham yeah. Hancock. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, and and he... Uh, <laughs> He's on the pantheon. <laughs> yeah, he wrote a book, well, <laughs> for sure. He's uh, just a, a towering, you know, intellect and voice. Yeah. And um, he wrote a book called Heaven's Mirror, which is the first one that I encountered. And, um, and then Fingerprints of the Gods. He references this book by these two professors who have passed away back in the seventies, actually uh, it's called Hamlet's mill. And that yes. was yes. a real um, eye opener. Cause like I said, I already love the myths already love them, the stars. And they're saying there's some kind of ancient system around the world. It's, it's in ruins. It's this giant system that's even found in the, you know, the Americas, the Pacific Islands, and they all are tied together somehow. Myth and number and fairy tales and um, architecture, all these things are parts of this gigantic ancient system. But now the system is in ruins. Well, I was just fascinated by that. And they yeah. connect it to the stars especially the myths. And I was very open to that. But when they connected the uh, Bible to the stars, I was like, no, 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 that, you know, <laughs> that's not, that's not based on the stars. But the more I, since I already knew so much about the Bible, because I was really, as you said, Dan, I was just reading the Bible on Sundays. Like that's, uh, you know, after a while I became very, very strict with it. Um I, On Sundays I would only read either the Bible or commentaries on the Bible. I wouldn't read I wouldn't watch the NFL even, you know, I wouldn't, um, or even let my kids watch the NFL. So good. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the more I dug into their arguments, they only kind of talk about the Bible a little bit, but the more I dug into it, I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> this, <laughs> there seems to be a pretty good uh, argument that these stories are based on the stars and the more, and I just became fascinated, the more I started to kind of decipher it like a language, like learning another language. And it sounds like, you know, Dan, maybe you speak another language as well. I don't know if you, no, you speak don't. Spanish or no. no. Okay. Well, I've, but, I grew up in California. That's how I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, it's like, oh, that's, well, that means this. Okay. But sometimes it can mean this too. It's, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. And, and, very complicated. But I just, as, as you could already tell by what I chose to study, I'm already fascinated by language and connections. And it was like, Oh, here's a whole nother language that, and it's really important to me because I get now I got to figure out, is the Bible based on the stars or is it literal or could it be both or what, you know, what does this mean? Anyway, it's like pulling on a thread that just keeps going and pretty soon. The whole sweater unravels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, or like uh, Gandalf said about the dwarves at uh, Moria, they dug too deep and they woke something else up down there.
0: Uh-oh. Uh oh.
2: Yeah, so I, I, you know, I dug too deep into the Bible and my whole picture of literalism that I was basing my life around. I had to realize, okay, there is something um, I was missing. So the literal understanding of the Bible. I now believe inverts the meaning, but actually all the truth and the beauty that you were looking for in the Bible, which I was, is still there. The good, the good aspects of it are still there, but the (laughs) there's literalism inverts so much of the message that all the bad things basically that we think of as associated with, Oh, you know, the idea that my faith is right and everyone else is wrong. That comes from a literalistic understanding. Once you understand, once you actually understand it, you realize the Bible is based on the exact same system as the Maya Popovu, as the Norse myths, as the Hindu. Greek myths, ancient India. Yes, exactly. All the way around the world, China, Australia, Africa, the, the sacred traditions of the Americas, all the different nations of North America, they are all using a celestial metaphor system that is the same system around the world that actually unites everybody but literalism <laughs> tends to divide everybody like oh mm. i've got it right and nobody else does
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's an issue <laughs> that we're trying those are the walls that we're trying to break down around yes here. Uh, we're not saying that any one religion is right and that what you believe is wrong. But just understand that you're one and the same with everybody else and not not to judge them or not to fear them. Uh, that's what's dividing us apart. And we need to come together so you can have your own belief system without having to hate on other people's belief systems.
2: Yeah, very well said. And and I think it's a beautiful, um, you know, I, I was at first very resistant uh, to this idea, but I I have some quotations that over the years I've latched onto that I like very much. And one of them, again, by Alvin Boyd Kuhn, uh, his last name is spelled K-U-H-N, Alvin Boyd Kuhn. Uh, he lived from, I think, 1880 to 1963, or it might be 1885 to 1963, Alvin Boyd Kuhn. But he said, the sacred scriptures of the world are a thousand times more precious as myths than as alleged history and i really i really believe that they are this is absolutely an ancient treasure that was given to all the different cultures of the world these sacred traditions that they have they were given for a positive purpose i know there are there are some people who believe that oh you know this is all to enslave humanity and get them to you know Dig gold for the Anunnaki, right, Dan? Ought <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to get you to be enslaved. But actually, I don't I don't see it that way. And I've you know, I've wrestled with that and come up with the evidence that I believe shows that it's actually for the benefit of men and women. But it can absolutely be twisted and used for the harm of men and women, just like really good psychology should be for healing people, but you could use, if you know psychology really well, you could use it to sell toothpaste. Not that that's harmful, but you could use it to also mess people up. You could use it for psychological warfare. Okay, how are we going to demoralize the people that we're categorizing as the enemy? How are we going to break them down using, you know, let's get the best psychologists we can and really terrify people or <laughs> really traumatize people. That That's horrific, but that's how good things can be used to harm people too. Washington, I, must, I have will s- oh, Washington yeah. must have a politician
0: on staff or Washington must have a, a philosopher on staff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, well, that's the thing is uh, there's deep philosophies that are, you know, tied back to the ancient ways that our government, though it seems modern and it is modern, obviously, right. It exists now. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're tie, they tie all of the foundations of everything that we know here in modern world to ancient philosophies. And it's just, I think at the base level, like, you know, there's not a lot of that understanding, but the higher up you go, you know, you have ties to, you know, skull and bones and these, uh, these, these more occultic, um, uh, societies or what have you. And they run on ancient philosophies. So. I think though, I think there's always the philosophers there in the government, like you said, Dan. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting. Uh, you know, as we're sitting here today, looking out at it, the world that we're living in and trying to figure out what is going on, it is quite clear that the ancient myths are still alive and well. Right? I don't know if you guys know Christopher Knowles. He is fantastic. Yeah. Um, at laying out and, and examining and showing that. And also Scott Onstott. I don't know if you know Scott Onstott. He made a a video called Secrets in Plain Sight, where he shows the layout of cities, Washington DC around the world. It's a like a two hour video that's got literally 10, like 10 million views or something. I mean, it's, it's been around for a little while, but it's literally got multiple millions of views. Secrets in Plain Sight. Secrets in Plain Sight. Nice. Secrets in Plain Sight by Scott Onstott. So there's, it's quite clear that like ancient knowledge is continued to um, be used. And, um, yeah, you know, you mentioned like skull and bones and things like that. Uh, <laughs> um you know, that was that was of,
1: a, the only reference I had at the top at no, the time. No,
2: I mean, uh, yeah, not to not to dive too far into all that kind of thing, but they, uh, you know, it's quite clear that that the government is not always doing what is best for the people, right? <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: uh, but it should be. It should be. But sure. It can be. It can be hijacked. It can be hijacked yeah. by and, and and so why would but why would people still be using ancient myths? Well, I'll tell you this is the thought that I had that I wanted to kind of the point that I wanted to make off yes, of what, yes. what you said, Roman, was uh because the ancient myths are talking about us. It's like the 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 makeup of a human being mm-hmm. of a man or a woman in your brain, the things that in your your personality, psyche, the the yeah, your psyche, collective the, consciousness, the yeah, all that knowledge that is in the myths is is true about us. It's as true and applicable to us today as it was in 3000 BC or any other year. Wow! And so yeah. that is true knowledge and true wisdom, and you can use it for the benefit of the people, or you can use it for the enrichment of small groups uh, of oligarchs. It can be used either way. I am convinced that it was intended for positive usage. And I can point to stories that show that. For instance, the, the stories where a king will often be asked by a god, ask me anything. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like an, an AMA. Ask me anything. Ask me for anything. Ask me for whatever you want. Like you've heard of the story of King Midas right king midas mm-hmm. was the richest king already he was already rich and the god dionysus in most versions of the story asked him midas what do you want i'll give you whatever you want and why would he why would he even do that um well it was a reward midas had rescued his friend dionysus was the god of wine and he was always having a party basically every single night and one of his mm-hmm. friends was a a satyr named Silenus, you know, a satyr has like goat feet, you know, from the town and likes to drink a lot and also likes to do, you know, wild partying all the time. Satyrs are kind of like always wanting to have sex. I mean, they're like, like everything you would think Mm. of as a wild party. That's what satyrs were all about. Anyway, Silenus wandered off. He was drunk, wandered off and got captured by some, I don't know, some people captured because he was like, dead drunk you know stone dead drunk lying down by a well of water and so he got captured but Midas was like hey wait a minute let's not let's entertain him let's treat him with good hospitality let's and let's return him to Dionysus I know this is Silenus the friend of Dionysus so he returns Silenus to Dionysus and says hey we found your buddy he was he was drunk we took care of him instead of you know humiliating him we we treated him well with good hospitality and Dionysus says thank you so much Midas I will grant you whatever you want. Well, that myth is found around the world of someone being asked, you know, what do you want? Name, name what you want. And Midas, of course, he was already rich. He apparently had some good qualities. He, you know, he treated Silenus with dignity instead of, you know, making fun of him or whatever. And, uh, but he had a problem. He, he was, he was the richest man in the world, but he couldn't get enough. And he said, I know what I want. I want everything I touch to turn to gold. And Dionysus says, are you sure you want that? You got to be careful what you ask for. Okay, your your wish is granted. And it turned out to be a disaster. And that's actually like a picture of addiction, right? It's like you can't get enough uh, and, it, and it satisfies you less and less the more you get. Well, pretty soon Midas realized that the more gold he got, the less satisfied he was because He couldn't even take a bite of food or a sip of drink without it turning to gold. Yeah, man. And then he turns his own daughter into gold when she comes running up and to give him a hug. And he's like, Oh, this is a curse. This isn't a, this isn't a blessing. So that pattern is around the world of ask the divine for what you want. And in the Bible, Solomon is also asked, what do you want? And, um, it's in uh, F- First Kings chapter three, and he says, "Well, I've been put in charge of this whole nation. This whole nation is looking to me for judgment. They come to me to ask which course of action is right to settle their disputes and their arguments. And a lot of times, there's it's hard to tell which side is right. And I feel like a little child sometimes. I've got like imposter syndrome. I'm the king, but I feel like a little kid." Trying to be the king. And I just feel, uh, that I need wisdom in order to judge rightly of this so great of a nation that you've put me in charge of. So would you please give me wisdom in order to judge rightly and help the people? And the, and the Bible says that was the answer that pleased the Lord. He said, you didn't ask for gold. You didn't ask for, um, long life. You didn't ask for the life of your enemies. So that implies you could have asked for all those things. You could have asked, I want you to kill this particular guy and that particular guy. And that, I mean, that, that was an answer that he didn't choose. He chose wisdom, but not just wisdom to be, uh, so everyone will think I'm cool. He said, I need wisdom to judge rightly in order to help others. And, and God says to him, that's the right answer. You didn't ask for long life, but I'm going to give you that. You didn't ask for riches. I'm going to give you that too because you asked for wisdom to help the people. So to me, these stories are saying you can go to the divine realm to ask for lots of different things. You can use it to even harm others. You can even use it to mm. you know, destroy your enemies, but that's not the true uh, best purpose. The best purpose is to get wisdom in order to make the right judgments in order to help people and build up the nation. And so that to me is an example. One of the best examples that the myths are actually there to give you wisdom, to help others, Uh to build up the nation, but it can also be used for all these other not as good things. And Midas learned (laughs) that when you choose the wrong thing, it you know, and why did Midas choose that? Because he, he had a, an empty spot inside of him that he was trying to fill with gold, and he's never going to fill it that way. He's never going to.
1: Greed. Yeah. yeah, very greedy. It's terrible. That kind of led into my first question kind of note that I had was, um, like, how does astrotheology fit into the current modern paradigm? And that 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 definitely sums it up a little bit, but uh, you know, it's obviously very very deep and beautiful. But does astrotheology can you use it to predict anything? Um, like I know the uh, you know, a lot of these old calendars were tied to predictions, celestial predictions. Does that tie into um the myths as well? Were they using myths? and the celestial calendars to tie these predictions in together? Do you know?
2: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I like, I like, um, I'd like to kind of take, tackle it in the order that you asked it. So at first you said, how does astro theology apply to daily life? And you continued on to what I would call divination or, you know, getting answers or predicting, as you said, yeah, prophecy and all the ancient, myths have discussions of divination including the bible there's divination in the bible of using different sticks or lots casting lots and things like that which is very similar to how the Jing uses yarrow stocks which is a type of a you know a plant reed to to divine and and in cultures around the world they still if you go into a temple in taiwan today for instance you can um get some Different kind of half moon shaped uh, pieces of metal and cast them down on the floor, and the way they fall will give you an answer of either yes, no, or you get kind of actually what they call a smirk, which is like a, the gods are just smiling in a kind of a smirking way. That's your answer, and you're like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> well, that's divination. Okay, so astrotheology specifically. How does it apply to us today? Um, As I said, when I started to see that the Bible was also based on the stars, I was fine seeing that the myths were based on the stars. But when I really started to realize that the Bible was all based on the stars and we can talk about what that means. What does it mean when I say based on the stars? I mean, the characters in the Bible are related to specific constellations. Moses crossing the red sea can be seen in the heavens. the, Adam and Eve's story can be seen in the heavens, and there's specific references in the text that point to specific constellations. To where the more I dove into it, the more I realized the characters themselves are based on the constellations. It's not that it was a literal person, man or woman, who did that. It is all based on stars. So it's all metaphor. So I had to wrestle with. What does it mean then? If that's the case, what does it mean? Does that mean it's not true? People will say, wait a minute, are you telling me that the story of Moses isn't true? No, I'm not saying that. It's profoundly full of truth, but it's not literal history. It's not literal parting the Red Sea, literally parting the Red Sea. That can be seen in the heavens. So if that's the case, then it must mean something else. What does it mean? Mercury or Mars Earth.
1: or something red. I'm not sure. <sighs>
2: the Red Sea. Yeah, well, actually. Milky Way. A, there, there you go. That's oh. It. Dan's oh. right. I mean, that, I, I would argue that's the answer. So the Milky Way nice. has a dark rift across it. A dark rift that goes right across the Milky Way. It's and it's galactic- right next to, yeah, right above the galactic core. that some Some cultures call it the birth canal.
0: Galactic vagina. It's, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. The birth canal. It's also called the Dark Rift. That's an official name of it. The Dark Rift. It could be a game. I didn't know you were a, you know, hardcore gamer, but you could make a cool game. Dark Rift. Massively multiple. Yeah. Uh wow. going into the dark rift. But right next to the dark rift, there is a constellation. <laughs> yeah. There's a constellation that is holding out a staff or a rod towards wow. that exact uh pathway that's amazing so that so people might say well okay
0: what constellation is that
2: it's called Ophiuchus, uh, Moses, the oh fucus oh shit okay the I,
0: serpent and the pole yes right? right i just had, had the serpent staff that's right
2: oh that's right
1: you you did a whole video so, on it and i wanted to i have it in my notes for
2: later <laughs> so i
1: don't know did you want to go in on a well,
2: yeah, yeah so, it, so it's let's super cute well here. let me let me tr- yeah, let me try and answer your question, and I'll just Sorry, mention that. Fucus. Yeah. No, no, it's great um, because this ties into your answer of your question: is what does it mean? What's it? Its point for us today. I just to summarize: I'm convinced that what these ancient myths are showing, and they're profound. They're multi-layered. So when I say they're about this, this is one thing that they're about. Is a central theme that's running through the myths around the world. Is it the Central theme, I don't say that. I say it's definitely one of the central themes is reconnecting with self, who you really are. Like I said at the beginning when I was talking about I I dove deeper and deeper into the Bible because I was like, what's wrong with me? When I was looking for an answer um, or even by going to West Point and searching out these kind of more and more intense experiences. I was on the parachute team at West Point. So I was skydiving every day, but not only that, I was sometimes pulling low. Like I would get yelled at by the coaches like Matheson, you pull low like that one more time, you're going to be off the team. Um, it was like adrenaline addiction kind of. Um, what does that I mean, don't, I don't do, pulling low? That means waiting to open your parachute, your free falling, oh. right? you're jumping out at 10,500 feet. And you're supposed to, it depends on how experienced you are, but you're supposed to pull by 2,000 feet if you have a C license or 1,500 feet if you have a D license, things like that. D license, you have to have a certain number of jumps. I have a D license now, but um, you're not allowed to go, you're not allowed to free fall below a certain height or your parachute might not open in time Mm -hmm. before you hit the ground. So pulling low is like, riding it longer and longer on the free fall part and deploying your chute later. And like, like have you seen point break where they pull, yeah. like <laughs> they pull, they pull their parachute. And like, as soon as the parachute deploys, they hit the water in that yeah. one scene that it's over Lake Elsinore Ooh. in California, actually. Ooh. Yeah. It's in the first point break. I'm talking about 1991. Well, this was, yeah. I was doing this before point break came out, but it's <laughs> exactly what they're talking about in point break is exactly how, what how I was. How do you was, know what, how do you know
1: what feet level you're at when you're falling?
2: You have an altimeter, so oh, you have an altimeter that, on your chest sense. that shows that that tells how high you are. But um, a good skydiver will always tell you you've got at least three altimeters. You got the one on your chest, and you got two altimeters yeah. in your head, and you better yeah. like you better figure out you better every time you're, you're giving altitude. Yeah, every time you're in an airplane going up above 5,000 feet or whatever, as you cross through 5,000 feet, you look down and say, okay, that's how big the cars look at 5,000 feet. Okay. That's what the streets look like at 6,000 feet. So you learn so that if your altimeter, if your altimeter breaks while you're free falling, you've got to know, okay, just by my eyeballs, I know I'm low enough to where I got to pull at this point. Pull, pull means pull your drone shoot out and deploy your parachute. Anyway. Um, the uh, or your pilot shoot, they call it not drone shoot, That's something different. Anyway, um, it's been a long time. I'm digging up, you guys are dredging <laughs> up, dredging up memories here. But, um, I was searching for something. We're all actually searching for something, and what that something is, the myths are pointing to the fact that we have actually suppressed who we are, where we've become divided from who we are and we don't even know it that's why we need the myths to show us and they show us they point us towards recovery of that that authentic self that becomes suppressed as part of society and fitting in with other people and psychological things like trauma and what's called attachment injury where you know your parents even even If they're trying their very best, they can sometimes make you feel like, let you down in some way or make you feel like they don't like you at a certain moment. And you suppress that, you turn it inwards as, oh, I've got to, okay, my parents, my father, whom I love, you know, said something really cruel to me. Uh, or did something and you turn it inwards, like, okay, I better improve myself. I better fix that part of me in order to not let that happen again. And you start to suppress part of who you are. Um, and it may be that he just had a bad day at work, or maybe he, he had to go off to work and you felt abandoned, but you know, he went, he wasn't there for you when you needed him and you felt abandoned and you, but you turned it into, something's wrong with me and you start to try and suppress certain parts of you. I'm not, I'm kind of making a hash of this explanation now, but that's what the myths are actually about is recovery of that authentic part of you that you suppressed. And that is so applicable to us today because all of addiction is like Midas's addiction was because he had some kind of a, um, uh, uh, like a need he was trying to assuage that split i mean he's a he's a metaphorical person but he's representative of addiction you're trying to fill that void yeah you're trying to soothe that pain of the split from yourself with pouring alcohol on it or pouring gold on it in midas's case or pouring you know sex or whatever you can become addicted to anything I'm not saying that alcohol is a bad thing. Those are good things, but you can use it. Uh, you, if you become addicted to it, it's because you are trying to actually put out a, an ache of some very uh, a deeper split with of actually split from yourself. And the myths are pointing us towards how we can first become aware of that because you do it unconsciously. It's so insidious. It's so... the pain is so uh, great that you actually um, will deny that you're doing that to yourself because you don't want to even admit, no, I had a perfect childhood. No, no, no. I never felt that. Um, So the myths are there to wake you up to this actually happened and all these different behaviors that you're doing are because of it. And the only one that can heal it is actually that self that you've been suppressing all this time. So that's what the myths are about. So that's a long answer to what is their uh, applicability today? I mean, if you see addiction in our society, which is going through the roof, depression, anxiety, all those things are, are going through the roof. It's because of those things that the myths are dealing with. And so just to quickly tie it back to your question about divination, divination. I am quite convinced is pointing us back to yourself as well. So if you're using a tarot card or if you're using the runes um, or if you're using the jing what it's actually doing is saying is pointing you towards your own self is saying is saying here's an answer now you have to wrestle with that answer and figure out what it means to you and the more you can reconnect with self the more you're going to get the right answer the more you're going to get that the divination. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's tied together. I mean, I tried to tie my answer together. It's kind of a complex. It's a mouthful.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, you know, that's why we have these allotted hours of going deep on this <laughs> stuff because it's not, none of this is easily explained or easily understood or easily defined, you know, and that's, that's a beautiful part of, you know, coming together as a community and why we appreciate having you. Yeah.
2: Man, well, thank you for, yeah. Thank you for, and you know, the questions that you guys ask will be different than anyone else's questions. It'll bring out different facets of, yeah. you know, we're all like standing around this, this amazing world that we're in looking at it from different angles, trying to go, what,
0: like, for the instance, uh, uh, I, Oh man. <laughs> uh, I'll save that for later. I was gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you some, uh, flat questions. Um, oh
1: i wanted to i wanted to, uh, to i wanted southern to <laughs> and some
0: southern hemisphere type questions Um but i'll save that for later oh, yeah. Uh one okay. of the things i was interested in was like, is what,
2: what's a flat question now i got it okay. yeah flat. <laughs> a little, slow. Yeah, <laughs> a little gonna, slow okay i got oh. it
0: <laughs> uh is there a star myth about the immaculate conception oh oh yeah Oh, yeah. Come and Lord. what Come on. what is that star <laughs> myth?
2: And wow, what constellations does that involve? All right, great question, Dan. So um, immaculate conceptions are found in myths around the world. You've probably heard, I'm not the first person to say that by any means. Yeah, It's completely, you know, the more myths you study, the more it will hit you over the head. So when we say immaculate conception, of course, we're talking about Jesus and Mary, uh, you know, Mary's immaculate conception and Jesus, the son of Mary, um, a virgin birth. This is a pattern around the world. We see it in, you know, the Buddha, the story of the Buddha. And I've done a video actually about it called life of the Buddha life of the Christ, I believe is the name of the video. It's on my YouTube channel, which you can get to all that stuff off of my website or off of my Instagram. Um, Life of the Buddha, life, or birth of the Buddha, birth of the Christ. That's what that video was called. So the Buddha's mother has a dream. Her name is Queen Maya. Maya. She has a dream of a white elephant and the elephant enters her side. And the next morning she's found, she says, oh, I'm pregnant. You know, she tells her husband, I, I'm pregnant. Um, and it's, it's a divine immaculate conception. That's just one. And, and the stories of Buddha, you know, all scholars agree, were around long before the alleged time of Jesus. Okay? Mm-hmm. I believe that Jesus is metaphorical, just like all the others. Um, metaphorical, that doesn't mean not true, it means not literal, not historical, but metaphorical, Gnostic, in, in a sense um energetic to teach you something else to teach you something else so um but i'll just give a few more examples in the myths of ancient greece um perseus for instance is also an immaculate conception there's a king who is given an oracle to your point roman the oracles you know will speak in sometimes mysterious ways and they'll tell you the will of the gods. And in this oracle, this King was told you're going to have a daughter and she will have a son one day who will kill you and take over your kingdom. And he says, I don't really like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, when my daughter gets old enough to have kids, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prevent her from having kids. And the way I'm going to do is I'm going to build a underground chamber made out of, bronze in some cases are made out of stone whatever she's going to go down into that underground chamber my servants will bring her food and drink and uh (laughs) and and then she'll be locked in there and that way no man can ever sleep with her no matter how beautiful she is and uh, i won't have a grandson who kills me because i don't want that (laughs) i'm going to stop the will of the gods so she's in there and the servants you know bring her food and drink she's very beautiful her name is Danae or Danae, uh d-a-n-a-e Danae. And she, uh, she's in there in the, in the stone box. And one day the, uh, the God Zeus says, that is the most beautiful woman. I've just got to sleep with her. You know, he's always, he's always, Zeus women. And he says, uh, how am I going to do this? You know, her father's got this plan that no one will ever get to sleep with her, but I'm the God Zeus and I can do whatever I want. And he, and she's got like air holes in the top of the, the stone chamber, like mm-hmm. for the air to come in. And so he turns himself actually into a shower of gold. That's the, that's the actual myth. Oh, and there's wow, ancient shower. depictions of it. Yeah. yeah there's ancient <laughs> depictions of it. All right. keep, keep your, keep your, uh, keep your focus here, Dan. You said and, it. Uh, <laughs> the, the ancient myths said it. Anyway, he goes down <laughs> through the, through the air holes. You know, he rains down on, on to Danai and she becomes pregnant. Wow, that's another. Wow, that's another virgin. It's a virgin birth, and, and her child is Perseus, who goes eventually to fight Medusa and the Gorgons. But it's so virgin a, a,
1: because it the uh, god. It's from a god and not a physical. It's from man. a
2: god and not a. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's a divine. Okay, that's, and yeah. also Hercules. Fascinating. Hercules or Heracles. So another pattern in ancient Greece is that there will be twins. One child is the son of Zeus, and one child is a mortal twin. Okay, so Hercules is that way. The mother of Heracles is the Greek word for Hercules, the Greek name of Hercules, and we know it mostly through the Roman name Hercules. But Hercules' mother was a queen. She's very beautiful. Zeus says, I got to sleep with her, and he does. But he makes sure that the king also later on comes in and sleeps with her so that there's no suspicion of the queen. Mm. Ah. So, So when she's pregnant... Nine months later, the king doesn't have any uh, doesn't have any suspicion. So, actually, the twins will be one child will be the son of Zeus, and that's Heracles, and one child will be the son of the king, and that is Iphicles. And so, you have a a divine one child is actually the son of a god and a mortal woman, and one child is the son of a mortal king and a mortal queen. And that's the same thing with Castor and Pollux, the twins of Gemini they're also castor is the mortal son. It was the queen of Sparta in that case. And Zeus turned himself into a swan. Swan. Yeah. Quit looking at me. Swan. Well, yeah, that's right. And Uh, and the swan is a, the swan is a constellation as well. Okay. These are, uh, but but do do you
0: think these stories are more about the ego and, and the self and, and telling your, your, your separation of your divinity uh, is yeah. really within yourself and not to this higher power extent
2: a hundred percent so so the message is what what's the message so there's two yeah. births there's two births yeah. one one birth is divine it's not physical, okay, and one birth is mortal, it is physical okay, so the twins one child is a divine. It, it, it's a combination of physical, mortal, mortal and divine. And oh. the other twin, the other twin is mortal. So it's not actually two, the twins aren't two different people. Again. Can they it's interchange? To your, to your point.
0: They swap back <laughs> and <laughs> forth at all?
2: <laughs> well, that's exactly what they do. It's, it's like the, Jesus but, and
0: Bursa, 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 uh whatever his name is. You're thinking Bursa. of Barabbas, probably. Yeah, Barabbas. Barabbas? Yeah, Barabbas. Um, Barabbas. Barabbas.
2: Um, it's actually Jesus and someone else, but... Um, but that's a good thought. Yes. So, but, but to your point of, could this have to do with the ego or the, the us, the twins are not two different people. That's, it's actually describing the situation of every man and woman on this planet is that yeah. you have, you have a physical birth, but there's also a, a divine Traumatic. birth. It's not, it's not the normal birth. Yes. It's a spiritual birth. And, and that's a picture of higher self so the divine twin you have a divine twin and it's not it, it's it's able to do things that you can't even believe it can yeah. do yeah. that's your higher self that's your imagination
1: it, your creativity yeah. your brain your sleep I, ram, dream realm like
0: wow i got a question for you with that in in that topic right there uh in the bible uh we see a lot of firstborn child being, uh, dead and the second one inheriting. Uh, this is like with the Esau story. Uh, I think it's like Jason and the agronauts, right. Uh, with the golden fleece. Um, it's, uh, it's the first one always dies off. And the second one rises. Do you, do you think this is like sort of the same tale? It's not really talking about brothers. It's talking about a
2: mortal self and a higher self the higher self going on to be the ruler that's That's right it's talking about uh your first birth and your second birth or it's talking about you have a you have a you have a higher self that is that's the one that you should be focusing on yeah you know that literally you should be trying to get back to
1: taking Uh, everything literally it just butchers (laughs) it it completely completely butchers the the depth of it that's you know because you just stop right there when you take something so literally you stop for what it is it's there you know you're done you know but when you ah, it's just fascinating i'm sorry i'm gonna shut up
2: no that's great no you guys are both making that's i mean i can sit here and make a video by myself and talk about stuff and you know that's great but interacting with other people who have their own life experiences and their own perspectives Throws off sparks that are different than just me sitting here talking to a microphone. So yeah. that's you know, you guys are bringing out aspects of things that are really important, and that's what your all your listeners are depending on you to ask, you know, yeah, <laughs> oh, <that's-> the questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. They're, they're yelling at the microphone, like, "What about this?" <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, uh,
0: uh oh, man astrologically what signs are these in the sky yeah also that are depicting this immaculate conception obviously we have
2: virgo yeah that's right so dan you're on it so virgo is in the sky a constellation that is known as virgo the virgin so the virgin the constellation itself and a lot of podcasts i do show outlines you know i put up But I really like just talking too. I I love that we're just doing an audio because um, I, you know, I spend all this time preparing a presentation when it's visual and then we kind of go in that direction because it's kind of already laid out. So here we can kind of do go wherever, but people have to envision it in their mind, but they can check out my books and podcasts and blogs where I talk about and show this, but the constellation Virgo, the outline itself is a female outline but I will caution that all the different constellations play take on the role of male or female characters in different myths. It's not that Virgo is only ever a female uh, character.
0: She's also a a star Wars fan.
2: Urgent. Yeah, the... Uh, what? I get it, but... Come on. Star, Star Wars fans are... Bad jokes they, for days over here, man. No offense to
0: conspiracy, Kyle. We
2: love you. Star Wars fans meet, meet <laughs> girls, too. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, Virgo, the way the constellation looks, the constellation actually goes across the sky on its back with its legs elevated and raised. In, in the northern hemisphere perspective, mm-hmm. um, depends on where you are on the disk, right? Where the projection is on your flat dome, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not it's not flat, guys. But um, <laughs> does that have anything to do with
1: um, the, the the moon? And and because uh, there's a kind of a yeah. cool uh, project going on with Benjamin Ballerson, and he talks about we the hermetic principles of feminine, masculine alchemical uh alchemical cosmology and that the moon is actually masculine uh energy and when it's fully erect is when it like ejects the massive amount of uh mm. secretion uh energetically so I was wondering I was like oh macular conception moon full moon uh, lineup I have no idea
2: yeah well I don't know about um, that in the in the dark. dark since I haven't I haven't studied his theories um but I thought you were going to say, "Does it have anything to do with the moon?" Because there's a uh, a passage in Revelation twelve where it says, "And the moon was at her feet. I saw a woman in travail, travail meaning in labor, getting mm. ready to give birth. Oh, and the moon was at her feet, and the crown of stars at her head, or uh, stars. Anyway, um, I thought that's where you were going. So, um, but but uh, yeah, look the 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 planets in the heavens including the moon have an impact on us on earth like why wouldn't they or how could not how could they not yeah the 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 tides you know anyone who surfs knows that the tides are influenced by the moon and the sun they're influenced by both but the moon has an impact like a visible visible impact on earth and it does actually have it the reason it's associated with feminine energy is it has traditionally and for millennia been associated with the woman's monthly cycle Mm -hmm. and then you had all these modern scientists coming out and saying oh no no, that's a bunch of bs you know that's old wives tales blah 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 and they did studies and they and (laughs) the studies have shown (laughs) yep there is a connection you know it's it's not it's not like a hundred percent super um Direct correlation. Exactly the same. There's enough enough correlation. The the thing about it is, in
1: my head, is like there, it's, it's correlated to them and they're attracted to it because it is masculine and because it is that. That's the time that they are the most fertile for getting pregnant is during that time. So it lines up with the full, you know, bloomage of the erect male, you know, the the as the moon as the penis basically right and it's monthly <laughs> secretion and so like it lines up with the women and I'm sure outside of humans it also lines up to a lot of you know the way that the 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 you know trees would even uh, have their their uh, pollen drift off and the the way that nature works harmoniously and mm-hmm. completely synchronizes with itself like outside of human understanding. Everything is connected to the moon and the stars and is affected. Absolutely. Isn't the
0: plant that only blooms in the moonlight? (laughs) Probably.
2: That sounds amazing. I think there is. I don't actually know. I mean, all that stuff's interesting. It's not, um, you know, it's not something I'm going to, uh, speculate on. Yes. I, I haven't really dug into it, but, um, the, there There is no doubt in my mind that we are impacted by cycles and we're connected to nature and we're connected to the universe and there's a you know a trauma psychologist a pioneer of of this concept of trauma in psychology, which is really it's the cutting edge psychologists who are really talking about this and his name is dr. Peter Levine and he writes in one of his books that Trauma, in short, is disconnection, disconnection from ourself, but also disconnection mm. from our families, from yes. others, from nature. Um, uh. So r- trauma is disconnection from yourself, and that disconnects us from the universe. We're, we're really connected to it, but we, we don't perceive the connection. When we're disconnected even from ourself, how can we even perceive yeah. that we're connected to other people let alone the universe but we really are but when yeah. we are disconnected from ourselves, we don't see that connection which is a true connection that connection is absolutely there but the more we're traumatized the less mm. we perceive that connection or, or can can make use of I'm that connection cry. but anyway just to yeah <laughs> i'm a cry um, just to just <laughs> just hurts, to bring man. us back to Back to Virgo, she goes across the sky on her back with her legs elevated and raised, which is the position of a woman giving birth. I mean, if you've ever been at birth, you know, that's she puts her feet up on the, you know, the petals, and that's how. And so there is a constellation where she can be envisioned as giving birth to a few different constellations that are basically are arranged near the feet of Virgo. And the constellation that Jesus is connected with is just to the you know just it looks you could draw a little curved arrow coming right out from be- between her legs and going to the constellation that Jesus is connected with and it's right next to Virgo. So that's the the virgin birth. And it's so Fucus Roman you're I see oh, you looking okay. so, at it's, it's fascinating.
0: Oh <laughs> I thought there's uh there's isn't it is there a connection with uh, Draco?
2: Well, so, you, you know, Draco or Draco or however it's pronounced is a very northern constellation. It's way okay. up around the North Pole, the, the North Celestial Pole in uh-huh. the sky. And um, it does play a role in some myths, for sure. Okay. But um, and it's actually arranged over the head of Ophiuchus. So there are some stories where a, a character, a figure will be bound. And have a serpent put over his head to drip venom down onto him? Oh, I'm thinking of a specific huh. a specific punishment for a Norse god, you know, who got bound and uh, had venom dripped over his head?
1: Oh, not not Odin. He was,
2: he, not no. not Odin. Yeah, he 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 Odin like bound Ragnarok. Uh No, not Ragnar. that's a good, <laughs> good guess. But this this god is in the story. Which which god would all the other gods be pissed off at one there you go. So Loki gets bound. He they, they get so mad at him. He does he does something that's so horrific that finally they just tie him up. They chain him up to a rock and put a venomous serpent over his head, and the serpent drips down poison onto his head. And I think that's likely Draco uh, dripping down over his head. But in terms of the Virgin Birth, um, the constellation Hydra is a serpent that goes directly underneath Virgo. It's kind of uh, singular long constellation. It's right next to Virgo, but um, it's south of Virgo, not towards the North Pole. It's on the other side of Virgo. Draco is way up by the North Pole.
1: There's a lot of there's So much serpent, dragon, r- big reptile, yeah. reptilian. Like even like if dinosaurs did or did not exist, which is completely random i know but you know (laughs) there's there's so much we are fascinated with it we're fascinated with big snakes we're fascinated with reptiles and there being a connection to reptile people and then through all all of these mythologies there is so much symbolism and i'm just like what you know we it's um and i guess i mean you know with other animals as well but dragons and serpents is just huge everywhere and all myths across the world
0: yeah, for this sure. would get into my next question of the killing of the Midgard serpent. Uh, Thor killing the Midgard serpent. Uh, Ar- Archangel Michael killing the serpent. Uh, there's uh, there's lots of symbolisms of killing the serpent. Is there a star mist associated with a The death yeah. of the serpent.
2: Yeah, for sure. Great questions. These are great questions. Um, I really appreciate you guys. You know, you came prepared with some good thoughtful questions (laughs) so as as you're saying dan that that is a motif in myth around the world it's a it's an oikotype even we could say an oikotype (laughs) Oikotype. is that like the oikotarian i don't know what oikotarian is but okay uh, we heard that from
0: um oh man i feel bad for even forgetting
2: (sighs) what a jerk (laughs) Wow. <laughs> no that's 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 interesting i haven't heard the that's word kidding. i'll have to check it out uh, i gotta listen to more of your shows then so i can <laughs> but, uh, uh, an oikotype is a myth pattern it's actually a word from botany and there was a, a mythologist or a folklorist whose name was uh carl wilhelm von sida i'm pretty sure uh, von uh um, and uh He's actually the father of a famous actor named Max von Sydow. Have you heard of Max von Sydow? Uh-uh. Yeah, you have. You have. I, I, <laughs> oh, I'm pronouncing, okay. I'm pronouncing it the way I think it's pronounced. <laughs> um, it's, it's spelled von Sydow or von Sydow, S-Y-D-O-W. Have you guys ever seen uh, Game of Thrones? Yeah. You, you know the raven, the three-eyed raven inside yeah. the tree? Oh, Oh, no. They had a couple of different actors play the three-eyed raven inside the tree. Yeah. He's an old guy. He just passed away, but he's a- he's an a,
1: Incredible uh, character concept. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's a Nobel uh, Prize winning it. actor. And he's the son of of the folklorist who used this botany term to talk about myth patterns around the world. So, oh, wow. He was also in uh, Minority Report. You ever see Minority Report? Mm-hmm. Long time ago. Minority Report with Precrime. Yeah. The Department of Pre Crime. How do you spell this- Von V O N, and then the second word is S Y D O W.
1: His father—that's uh, his father, the folklorist. So that's the actor? his
2: father was a folklorist. Yeah, the actor is Max, just passed away, and uh, his father was a folklorist who used this term oikotype, which is from botany. It means like a pat a, 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 a you know a plant a plant pattern that's found across different species. He said, "Oh, that's a great word. I'll use that for." A myth pattern that's found across different cultures an oikotype it's like it's like a pattern that keeps repeating so uh, a god that fights a serpent is an oikotype or a myth pattern that's found around the world so you have krishna dances on the head of a multi-headed serpent named the kaliyanag Mm. and you have odin uh, sorry not odin Uh, odin fights fenris the wolf right but Thor's main enemy is the Midgard serpent or the Jormungandr, or he's sometimes uh, called mm-hmm. the Midgard serpent. And you have actually Apollo, the god in ancient Greece, who fights a serpent dragon named Python, the Python, when he's uh, taking over the temple at Delphi. Apollo is. It used to belong to Python. Um, you have this around the world. You have Maui. Maui. Of the Pacific Islands, the great, he's a trickster figure, he's a demigod, he's hes part human, part god again. And that's a representation, actually, of us. We're a mixture of spiritual and physical, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, he fights a, a gigantic eel named tuna. So Maui versus tuna is another aspect of this. So it's seen in the heavens, for sure. Oh, Hercules or Heracles. One of his 12 labors is to fight the hydra, the nine-headed hydra. And every time you chop off one head, two more grow back. And so um, there are different serpents in the sky, different constellations that are playing a serpent. We've already mentioned Draco. I don't particularly believe that Draco is, in, is not the serpent in most, but it's one of them. It's one of the serpents. Ophiuchus, that we've mentioned a lot, actually has a serpent on either side of it. So sometimes that's a serpent. Directly below the feet of Ophiuchus is Scorpio. Scorpio, of course, we would think, oh, that well, must be a Scorpion. But actually, if you look at the constellation Scorpio in the sky, it's a serpent. It's a it's a sinuous-looking serpent, and then serpent body, just like a scorpion kind of has a you know long tail. But it could also be envisioned as a serpent with multiple heads, actually. Scorpio, I could show it to you on constellations, but people can check out, you know, my videos or blog posts where I talk about it. Scorpio plays a serpent. You better. Yeah, yeah, you better. It plays a serpent in a lot of myths. And then I also mentioned Hydra is next to, Hydra is not too far from Scorpio. That also plays a serpent. But anyway, Thor is associated with a constellation that's known as the constellation Hercules. We call it the constellation Hercules. So it's the same constellation that plays Thor that plays Hercules, like, what do they have in common? They both have big beards, right? Thor has a big square beard. Hercules has a big square beard. Zeus has a big square beard. They're all actually associated with, yeah, Dan has a big square beard. They're all associated (laughs) with, Roman has a small pointy beard. Uh, (laughs) They're all associated with the constellation Hercules, which actually the constellation itself has a square-shaped head, a distinctive square-shaped head in the sky. Wow. it doesn't always play a male figure, though. Like I said, all constellations can sometimes play a female figure. And you say, well, wait a minute. How could you have a square-headed female figure? Well, Medusa or the Gorgons are a female figure, but they actually have snakes coming out of their hair. And actually, if you look at ancient artwork, it'll look like a, uh, a beard almost sometimes. The mm. snakes they are all around their head. Um, Sick. <laughs> so anyway, just to close, I've I gone off on a few tangents, but to answer your question, Dan... Hercules fighting the the Hydra is the same constellations as Thor fighting the Midgard serpent as um, Zeus fighting. Well, Zeus fights a a creature called Typhon who has serpents for uh, legs. Typhon is actually probably associated with Ophiuchus, but these are constellations that are directly beneath Hercules. Apollo is probably associated with Sagittarius, which is pointing a bow towards Scorpio. So Apollo fights a serpent dragon being, but Apollo uses a a bow and um, Hercules, you know, uses a club or uh, he's using a club. Zeus uses a thunderbolt thor uses a hammer but they're all associated with the constellation hercules which is usually which in the sky is actually brandishing a, like a big weapon over its back and it could be envisioned as a thunderbolt as an axe as a hammer or as a, a sword that's or that's osiris a is that osiris yeah so osiris i would um I, i've argued about osiris um being associated most people reflexively say oh we know for a fact osiris is associated with orion So Orion, that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 Um, I've argued that Osiris is also associated with Ophiuchus. Uh, I've I've written a book called ancient worldwide system that talks about the different myths of different cultures. And it spends quite a bit of time on the myths of ancient Egypt and shows my argument for Osiris connections to the stars. But there's no doubt that these, the, the big, the big, the big, picture is that they're all based on the stars and it's an ancient language. And these different constellations have different associations in the language to tell us something. And one of the things that they're trying to tell us about is about ourself Mm -hmm. and that you have suppressed your own self. So when you have a God like Osiris, who's been suppressed and buried, yeah, but he comes back because he's indestructible. You know why? Because you're, Higher self, your true self, your authentic self, no matter what trauma you've gone through, is actually indestructible, just like that's, Osiris.
1: That's why I have the crook and flail tattoos right here on my inner forearms. Nice. Because uh I've always I've always associated myself with uh, Osiris. There's something about the story, like you said, this is before I had gotten into I didn't a even of know stuff.
0: that, Roman. I'll learn uh, something new too.
1: <laughs> but it there it's all about balance like it's it's the whole story of osiris and like you're saying it now and it's actually i'm just now realizing it but it makes so much sense that astro astro theologically wow that's a (laughs) astrologically it's (laughs) it's astro theologically that that it it ties into just stories about ourselves like we and is this is the snake kundalini energy does that have any tie to do with like us battling mm. the snake controlling that type of inner coil energy or mm. does is any of that there tie in? Go.
2: yeah i totally believe that these stories are about you and putting all those different i mean we are these amazing um, you know we're a body but with like you said the chi energy or prana energy or the kundalini energy reconnecting with self so dr peter levine in that quotation says trauma disconnects us from ourself from our body from our family from wider humanity and from nature and i would add you know from the universe from the divine realm as well the invisible realm and so our body has like amazing i would argue for sure, I'm not an expert in Kundalini, okay, but I have actually studied you know martial it. arts for a long time, and that stuff is real. I've been studying martial arts since 1992, and chi energy is real, and and all that, um, all that, all those things about raising, you know, the chakras, and 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 those things are real. But the more we connect with, the more we recover self the more we reconnect with our body and what it's trying to tell us i mean our body has an like amazing knowledge like our gut wisdom but we suppress it with our little defense mechanism voices that say you know no that can't be like we all know that the twin towers coming down on 911 anyone can look at that and deep in their gut know that is not a product of two airplanes hitting those two buildings Mm -hmm. and building seven (gasps) twins.
1: They're taking out our,
2: (laughs) but you can, um, that's right. The, the the twin pillars of Solomon. um, You can look at that and the implications of what you're seeing are so threatening to you that different defense mechanisms in your brain. Don't let what your gut is telling you, about what's going on, the full implications are too scary. And you're like, no, 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 no. I can't be what I think it is, which is I'm being lied to about something that's very, very scary because you yeah. see what I'm saying? So anyway, yeah. trauma disconnects us from ourselves and the messages yeah. that ourselves, are, our, our, our body actually knows, including Kundalini, I, you know, uh, I'm not, I, I haven't done the work to, to, <laughs> to be an expert in that field. Yeah. But, yeah. but bio, for sure.
1: It's, it's like the biofield uh you know, that we have like energetically trauma will deaden an energy yeah. spot in your biofield And then it just needs, like, it can be healed with resonance, like sound resonance and frequency, right. With like tuning forks, which is like amazing. And I'm, I'm fully mm-hmm. a believer in it. Uh, tuna, tuna (laughs) fox.
0: Sorry.
1: (laughs) Uh, that's so cool. I love this. That I love that actually the tie away of your work because you, you had a whole book on, on the trauma and the stars. Mm -hmm. And, and so like that's just a fascinating blend, you know, to go deep into the astro theolo- theology and tying all that, and then to tie in something so real and personal to everybody that's affecting everybody like trauma and understanding it on another level like that is fascinating. I mean, like that's a blend that, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's purely you. I mean, that's purely, uh, well, you know, that's amazing.
2: Well, you know, there are lots of, um, I'm glad, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad you asked that question about, kundalini and then brought in the trauma because even if you're not raising your kundalini like it it probably takes some discipline and some training and you know you know someone who knows what they're doing to kind of coach you into doing that but the reconnection with self and the fighting of the hydra or of the you know the the serpent that all these different gods are fighting has an application to that what you just said, the trauma that there's a, there's a psychologist that I like a lot named Dr. Richard Schwartz. And I've learned a lot from, and he's the founder of what's called internal family systems therapy, which explains that we all have actually multiple personalities and it's not a disorder. You've oh, yeah. got multiple <laughs> sides sure. to who you are. And we're, we're, We're able to have all these different, we all have a different mix of gifts and talents, but the world wants to force you into a box and say, like, let's say you're a really gifted musician and that's one expression of who you are, but you also happen to be like a really savvy business person, man or woman. And, you know, maybe you're even a corporate, you know, CEO or executive or something, but you're also an amazing guitar player or something. Well, the, the world wants to say, wait a minute. If you're a guitar player, you've got to, you know, you can't be a businessman or a businesswoman. That's, yeah. that's that's be homeless you know, you, on the streets. Exactly. You've got to be, you've got to just be only an artist. Well, that's one expression of you. And then you've got a mix of all these different sides. And it's not contradictory to be good at lots of different things and to bring all those different but what happens with trauma is those different sides of you can, can get into negative roles, negative – they can get forced into playing – a like the part of you that's, you know, when you get drunk and does crazy wild stuff, you could have a positive expression of that, but it could also – have a negative expression why, why is it expressing mm. itself negatively or in self sabotaging ways is mm. because of trauma so once yeah. you get the once you get everything, once you allow self to really organize and harmonize the team, then those parts of you that are actually could be really really positive but are doing really really negative things that's what I think slaying the serpent is about or these myths yeah. that are about wow. it's like bringing in it's like getting those parts of you under the direction of that godlike part of you the Oof. divine part of you that's self so th- that's the part that can fix the the it's like the players on the t- basketball team they all have their different talents but if there's no coach they're gonna be arguing with each other mm. like who gets to take the shot or you know yeah. who who gets to who has to sit on the bench next and yeah. they're fighting with each other but when that perfect coach arrives that knows exactly. Beautiful. Then they can just concentrate on being the best that they're. And when the coach says, "Hey, Jordan, I want you to sit out for the next two minutes so you're refreshed in the last minute of the game," he trusts the coach and he does it, and it all works. And the team lives up to its highest potential. That's. But what we've done is we've locked the coach away. We've buried the coach because of yeah. some kind of trauma, and now all the parts Ooh. of the team are fighting with each other, and so. That's what I think the slang of the serpent story uh, that we find over and over around is about the, the divine self that putting all those, good. putting all the pieces into the right harmony. Wow, that's um,
1: So beautiful. Yeah. So it does. It does make, it, it resonates very hard because it seems very,
0: uh, very earlier, we all
2: experience was, that. We all experience that. Yes. I
0: was saying how these myths seem to have different levels, right? Uh, so this is like, uh, definitely a a personal physical level but and a celestial level but uh i wonder if there's another level here and so my question is do you think like the killing of the serpent is also the destruction of the 13th month and of the constellation of fucus oh yeah and that that the this was like had to do with uh the world tilting and then losing that 13th constellation and so this is kind of possessed in the myths also of this story of of that
2: yeah it's a great question dan so what you're referring to is the fact that you know we the zodiac of constellations is a it's it's not a random thing it's a specific set of constellations that the sun moves through Mm-hmm. during the year along what's called the ecliptic path. The ecliptic path is the path on which we have eclipses because the sun and the moon and the other planets follow this path, the path of the gods, right? The mm-hmm. path of the gods. That's what the the sun, moon and planets moves along. And those, the the path that they move along, the background stars that they move through are different constellations that are called the Zodiac, the 12 constellations of the Zodiac that were, All at least familiar with on some level aries taurus gemini cancer leo all the way around through the year and the moon goes through them once a month and yeah and and they turn around the earth once a day or the earth turns causing them to you know go around us once a day um but there is a 13th constellation that actually has part of that constellation along that path that's not counted as one of the zodiac signs, and that is Ophiuchus. So Ophiuchus actually has one foot through which the ecliptic path passes. Okay, so Ophiuchus Mm -hmm. is mostly above the ecliptic, but it does dip its toe down into the ecliptic, so to speak. So the ecliptic does go through Ophiuchus as well as it goes through Virgo and Leo and Libra and all those. So why it is it Ophiuchus? It a has like the Captain uh, Morgan.
0: Well, yeah. It has like the Captain Morgan pose. Yeah.
2: Ooh, good. I haven't looked specifically at Captain Morgan. Uh, to he has one foot, Man. one foot in the, in the ground or in the water. And then one foot yeah, raised up. Exactly above, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a tarot card um, called, I'm not an expert in tarot, but people have, when, when I say, you know, there's a tarot card where one foot is in the water and one foot is on land, they say, oh, that's star. That's the star. Um, I'm the I'm star card. Look up, i got to look up Captain Morgan just real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Morgan. We get an image on my screen. But so Ophiuchus does have one foot in the Milky Way and one foot not in the Milky Way. So you're right. Ah, that's yeah. one foot okay. in the river or in the, in the water and one foot up. Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's actually in... It's it's not in the rift part of the Milky Way, but okay. okay, I'm looking at Captain Morgan; he's got his foot on a barrel of yeah. uh, rum here. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, <laughs> it's the Captain Morgan pose. It's the pose. Okay, we could we could stretch that. Yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was going for like an actual <laughs> deeper. He's like, "There's something here." <laughs> uh, oh
2: goodness. Um, but there are there are there are passages in uh, Revelation eight, I believe. It's Re- Revelation eight where there's a Bible. Uh, Uh, an angel who's described as having one foot in the sea and one foot on the Mm. earth. In fact, it even says the right foot in the sea and the left foot on the earth, on the land, that's Ophiuchus. So Ophiuchus does have one foot in the water, one foot on the land, one foot in the Milky way, which often plays a river, sometimes plays a red sea, sometimes plays uh, a fire. So rising from the ashes, um, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's all esoteric. Um, (laughs) Okay, yeah, we're esoteric uh, as uh, around here. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so, where, how do we get off of that? Oh, you were asking about the 13th zodiac. The third, so, yeah. Yes, yeah,
1: so that, that is, is the t- best like a, explanation I've heard of it so far as to yeah, why so it's
2: the hidden, it's like the hidden zodiac sign. Okay, yeah, yeah, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you my interpretation of that is that Ophiuchus okay. very, very often plays the figure who represents your higher self, your authentic self. Okay. And your authentic uh. self is like all your different parts. So I'm talking in terms of internal family systems therapy now that Dr. Richard Schwartz discovered, but IFS says you've got different parts, you got different aspects of who you are. And sometimes those parts will take on roles that jobs that they kind of hate, just like we sometimes have to do a job that we kind of hate, but we feel like we're forced into it because of something we have to like, I got to hold this ship together. I'm going to, I'm going to have to become that part that always pleases other people. Or I'm going to, I've got to be the part that puts out the fires when some trauma tries to rear its head again, you know, some hint of that trauma comes in. I'm going to, jump in and start dousing everything with fire suppressant because I can't have that memory come back up. So a part will take on the role of a firefighter is what Dr. Schwartz calls it spraying, you know, Captain Morgan on your problem. It's like, (laughs) Oh, you know, that, that deep seated anxiety that I had from when I was very little. And my mom told me I could never do anything right. And I heard it over and over again. And now i feel like i can never do anything right so then when i do something you know stupid i that feeling starts bubbling up like oh man you're such a you know a screw up you can't do anything right that feeling threatens to be so overwhelming that the part that's playing captain morgan firefighter says don't let that feeling get too strong pour yourself a glass of rum right now and drink it and then drink another one. Okay. Oh, so, nailed the, the, it, <laughs> so the parts are not bad. They're actually trying to keep the whole system together, mm-hmm. but they may be forced into a role that is actually self destructive, right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you can destroy yourself. I mean, alcohol is a poison. You can drink enough to kill yourself in just one night, right? But, but you can yeah. certainly screw up your life if that, if that part, but that part is actually thinking, I'm keeping us from that even more disturbing memory or feeling of you can't do anything right. You're such a screw up. That's so deep. And the, the one that can fix that is your higher self, okay, can go to that part and help it to figure out why it's doing that. And it's because if there's another part that's carrying this trauma, this burden, it's called an exile part. This is all from internal family systems therapy, but the myths are absolutely talking about it. So there's all the different parts that's lined up with your zodiac constellations and but there's a higher part that's sort of like a zodiac constellation but it's not it's different. It's hidden from the zodiac. It's the so Ophiuchus figure.
1: Fucking deep. That's so so exp- it's, it's it's expoundingly huge and to not on a mainstream narrative whatsoever, but it's happening to everybody. It's a literal story of ever because everybody's affected by trauma through societal engineering. That's happened in the fucking terrible (laughs) simulation. That's being created by man. The systems that we've placed on ourselves is automatic trauma from birth. So to have this understanding that, it's right under everybody's fingertips and right under their nose and so close to them within their They can understand it like this if they chose to, but just because of the way things are set up, they are not going to look in that direction unless they've hit rock bottom through deep depression. Like, how do you even come to these conclusions? A lot of times, you know, you have to go through the fucking work to get there and you have to understand it to get there. You know, it takes one to know one. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's, it's incredibly fascinatingly deep. And this is just. So amazing. I'm just sorry. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, that's, and I,
0: it's I, great. Uh, it's I, I, nice.
2: I love that. Response.
0: So what you're saying is a Fucus is supposed to be hidden because it's our higher self that we're supposed to find.
2: You know, I've heard the theories that it's, uh, it's the, you know, the patriarchy throughout the 13th one because of and and there may be something to that. I don't know. But okay. my my examination of the myths Argues what you just said. I mean, that's a very perspective perceptive rephrasing of exactly what I believe, Dan. This very, very perceptive. That is what I believe. The myths are using this whole, the whole sky as a coded language, and each of the different parts of it is is a code that they they knew this language, and it's yeah. worldwide, and it's yeah. worldwide. And no Ophucus, and Fucus is like the perfect figure to help us to understand this concept of the suppressed authentic self. Okay. And what's so amazing and Roman, I loved how you were just riffing and getting excited because it is, it like makes the hair on your arm stand up because it's like Dr. Richard Schwartz discovered all this stuff about the way our internal family system works by talking to patients, thousands and thousands of patients in discovering this And he's discovered all this stuff about the way the mind works. And when I heard it, I already was exploring the myths this way. And I'm like, it is quite clear that the myths are talking about the same thing. It is quite clear that they are talking about, they're laying out for us that same understanding. And why wouldn't, if he's right about the way our internal family system works, which he is, I'm quite convinced he's he's right. (laughs) We'll take Um, it. And, uh, yeah. You know, these other cutting-edge psychologist healers, too, that I mentioned, Dr. Peter Levine, Dr. Gabor Mate, there's many psychologists who are talking about the way our minds work. Well, then, of course, if the ancient myths are truly giving us true information about ourselves, which they also are, of course they're going to harmonize. They harmonize. They're telling it to us in a different language of what modern cutting-edge healers have discovered it's not like Dr. Richard Schwartz was looking at the myths and saying, how can I use the myths to interpret? He's looking at patients and figuring out a whole system. And he's using a totally different set of terms, Real people. Fire, firefighters. He's, he's saying, well, this is like firefighters and this is like protectors and this is like exiles. Well, the myths are full of those exact same roles. They just don't call them, you know, mm-hmm. the exact same terms that he's discovered. But so it's the same concepts.
0: Do the different constellations in the zodiac have these different
2: uh... personalities and, and connotations? Yes. Yeah. Is that, is that what you're going to ask? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like like aspects to the human condition. Yes. More so is yes. is kind of what yes. I'm getting at.
2: Yeah. So we like know. One we that know through like running, and it's like that's you know yeah. you being hasty or rushing, jumping to conclusions, or you know letting your temper run away with you that those associations are lined up with that particular constellation. For instance, is that kind of what you're asking?
0: Yeah, exactly. Cause most of the time what we think about it is like, Oh, uh, Scorpio is my personality and that's how I act. Mm-hmm. But what I'm asking mm-hmm. is, is there like a deeper meaning of your, of our conscious reality that that constellation is, is kind of controlling that aspect of our brain And if we're based in different constellations, then we have different problems that we have to face because we have different polar opposites than somebody else. And so we go through these different trials and tribulations and each one of these is a different trial and tribulation, just like in the story of Hercules and the, uh, the 12, uh, trials and Wait, he has to go right. through each one. And so yeah. we have to go through each one that's and what, defeat, yeah. defeat these demons so that way we, we can reach the Ophiuchus and get enlightened and yeah. have that enlightenment self.
1: That's kind of the idea yeah. of the wheel did I, and the
0: turn yeah
1: yeah that's like the, <laughs> that's from my understanding that's what the journey is on the astrological ride and then having obvious you know your chart yeah oh, uh, you know has all the connections to all the stars right but you're heavily in this one area of your astral travel and your soul you know and, and we talked about on 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 a uh, on, uh the last show it was on an intro or something but talking about the purpose of life could be to, as Earth is a celestial body, right? I was going to ask you about this, David, what your thoughts are on growing Earth or expanding Earth theory, because that's something to me that resonates as Earth is a planet. So it's a body of the same things that we're created with and we grow and we, you know, we, we have all the same things, the same workings. And then, but conscious, there's a conscious, a uh, body and a conscious life, then there's the physical life. So it's like there's almost the two parts of Earth's body as well as Earth's consciousness tied in. So we are we trying we amending the Earth's consciousness by just living and going through these trials and keep coming down to to create or and expand Earth's consciousness more, like and heal that or something. All right, <laughs> <Sorry.
2: laughs> wow, that's a that's a that's a big one uh the earth is pretty big um that's a good question (laughs) that's an interesting question i don't know about the earth expanding i have heard that before so um it's pretty clear that our earth has had catastrophes i mean we've got the scars of catastrophes on the earth no doubt and i tend to believe that the best explanation for this worldwide system So we've got this system that's operating worldwide. It's in the myths of the cultures of the Pacific, like the Maui stories. That's that's some of the
1: coolest stories, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, they're amazing. And Australia, the culture of Australia, which was very isolated for tens of thousands of years, a very ancient culture that, you know, the Aboriginal indigenous people of Australia were continuing their traditions for tens of thousands of years, undisturbed. And yet their myths have evidence of this system and the stories of the Americas, the different nations of North America, the native American nations of North America have myths that are using this system. And the Inca and the Maya have myths that are using this system and the Aztec and the Egyptians and the, you know, the oldest cultures that we know of um, or civilizations, let's call them, you know, the oldest civilizations that we get taught about Egypt or ancient India or ancient Mesopotamia have this system already fully developed in their myths. So it must be even more ancient than Mesopotamia, even more ancient than Egypt, right? So how do you explain that? Holy shit. I think the best explanation is that there was some, yeah, even before the oldest cultures we know of, there was some system that then there was a catastrophe of some sort of some sort of a cataclysm and it got splintered and and fragmented and people had to pick up the pieces after this catastrophe and hold on to what they had you know hold on to the pieces of it that they remembered and it's it's like different cultures have different aspects of it but they're all clearly connected so I think there was clearly like the some kind
1: of being into the pyramids, as opposed to building the pyramids.
2: There's yeah, there's there's some great evidence that the dynastic Egyptian civilization inherited a lot of what mm-hmm. is attributed to them. Um, you guys should check out Uncharted X if you if you haven't checked out his uh, Ben at Uncharted X makes some amazing videos. I watch them looking man. specifically at some of the technologies and things. Ben Ben at Uncharted X. Mm-hmm. Um, Snake talking Bros. About, yeah, the Snake Brothers. And uh, what's um, that was
0: uh the girl to uh jo- Johanna James.
2: Yeah, she's on with uh NEXT. Do you know NEXT? He just no. moved to Egypt, in fact. Oh um, yeah, and he's Ooh, doing a nice. tour with he's doing a tour with Johanna Jameson, I think is her name. Um but uh That's a dream <laughs> Yeah so um you know, I'm not sure about expanding Earth. It, it's quite possible that planets are uh, contracted stars, right? Stars that have burned out. I mean, I don't know. So now physicists are cringing and throwing, throwing, you know, throwing out all my books. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know for a fact.
1: To me, it seems like, uh, you know, like if, you know, as above, so below, you know, fractalizing micro, macro, you know, so on and so forth, all these things. You know, everything that's happening within our bodies on a cellular level is happening outside on a different matter level. So, like, you know, there's the, we have the different forms of matter and, you know, the different, um, the elements, the, it's, it's, it's also fascinating, but ties in and create. And then when you take all the numbers and expand it out, creates a shape, some sort of shape that's resonant somehow and connects in. Dear sweet now, Lord, I'm getting to a on, point
2: here though. No, you're hitting on, you're hitting on <laughs> some very important things because ancient cultures arranged their societies in specific ways that did reflect the heavens that reflected the heavens and yeah. aligned with the heavens and also aligned with earth energies, ley lines. They're called in England. Yes. Um, dragon lines. They're called in China. There's an actual you know term in Chinese for dragon lines and you don't, Build a railroad across, you know, the dragon's tail, or these are earth energies. The earth does have, you know, a uh, energy grid um, that we can align with and be in harmony with, or we can ignore and be in disharmony with. And so we, it's like feng shui. Do you know the concept of feng shui and organizing your house? which I need to do better, uh, <laughs> in line with the heavens. And, and, oh, okay, well, the north-facing part gets this kind of energy, and the south-facing part gets this kind of energy, and the way the front door is facing gets this kind of energy, and we want to, as much as possible, harmonize and, and, getting, and get it yeah. in conjunction with the Earth's energy that the Earth is sitting there giving off all the time. And the body has the
0: same energy energies
2: absolutely exactly absolutely that's, yeah. so, so, that's so it was thinking
1: through was society maybe, this, yeah. maybe these constellations were we figured out it was a story of the earth's trauma and the mm. earth's <laughs> body so it's like if it's our story it's the earth's story and if it's the Earth's story it's our story because we are i guess seemingly the same fractalization you know, of the same thing i mean i don't fucking know but it's crazy and beautiful. <laughs> and um I but I wanted to straight up ask you specifically because we've been doing a lot of God Satan yeah, like yeah. specific breakdowns. And so ask for theologically like constellations of uh Satan, Lucifer, and or fallen angels.
2: Yeah, good question. Um so you know, I, I I knew you guys were going to ask this because you told me in advance. Hey, this is the month. This is the month <laughs> yes, that we're yes. doing this, I, know. This I topic. Need, we
1: need to get specific, real quick. Yeah.
2: So, um, you know, I am convinced that all the myths are based on the stars. Okay. So, as I said before, I'm convinced that Moses is a constellation. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that the story isn't telling us something truthful. But I don't get hung up on. Uh, uh historical moses because i am convinced that that oops i'm making i'm waving my arms around hitting things um i'm convinced that that is celestial metaphor okay same thing with jesus same thing with the buddha they are there to teach you something about this situation of yourself okay and the devil as well okay so is there an external devil is there an external Satan? Um, maybe. But the important thing, is there an external Jesus? Okay. If Jesus is representative of, of your higher self and of reconciling with your higher self and getting back in harmony with your higher self, okay, then, see, I don't believe that there needs to be a historical Jesus. And Uh-oh, that, Jesus is a you know, fucus jesus is a fucus but also aquarius sometimes okay so um but definitely a fucus for sure a fucus okay and um so is moses yeah and if you need to if you need to if we need to if we need to stop at a hard time let me know but the uh i know we're coming up on more than two hours here the the adversary, okay, so the word Satan means adversary. The word devil also means adversary or enemy. Lucifer is something completely different. That means light bringer, okay, and that word is is really found once in the Bible in the scroll of Isaiah or the book of Isaiah. And the word that it's translating is hell el or halel or Halel. Uh, um it's spelled H E L E L. Well, H E L is Helios, okay. Helios, Helios. and L El- okay. That's a light, a, a sun, a mm. bright brightness. Okay, it means brightness. Um, it is yeah. associated with morning star, the morning mm-hmm. star, which is Venus. That so makes yeah, a lot more heliocentric
0: sense. Heliocentric model would be the Luciferian model.
2: Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> I am uh- <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I'm I'm actually on record as uh as as saying there are some problems with the heliocentric model that uh, there's a there's a uh for sure there's a researcher named Simon Shack and and uh also his co-researcher named uh Patrick Lundqvist um, and they have written some Very, very interesting research about the possibility that we're in a binary system that explains the motions much better than a simple heliocentric Keplerian model. Mm -hmm. There's also a researcher named Walter Cretenden who talks about a binary system in a different type of a, he's got a different model. But I think there's very, very good evidence that we're in a binary system of some sort, not a single heliocentric system. Um, But uh Now I've gotten off. Oh yeah. We're talking about the devil. Okay. So the adversary, the, the adversary, the, the word means like the adversary in a court of law or the, the accuser in the court of law, you've got an adversarial system. Well, in the Zodiac, you also have an adversarial or you, there's a sign that's the opposite on the wheel from any, any given sign has an opposite on the wheel as well. Does that make sense? An, an yeah. adversary. Like if you look at Sagittarius directly across from Sagittarius Absolutely. is Gemini. Yeah. Okay. So.
1: Alchemically speaking, it's a uh, negative positive, you know, in order to create the centrifugal energy, you got to have, Yeah,
2: it. you got to have the two forces. Okay. Um, drive to drive it, to drive it. Um, so <clears throat> look, I was talking about the parts that, that can self-sabotage us okay so i was going to actually read you guys a quote from plato um, there's a quote from the phaedrus it's one of the dialogues of plato the phaedrus or the phaedrus and um, it's called that because plato makes these imaginary dialogues of socrates talking and socrates is talking to different people in this case he's talking to a young man named phaedrus or phaedrus who's trying to figure out the world And so this dialogue is called the dialogue with Phaedrus or Phaedrus. And so Phaedrus is saying, hey, um, tell me, Socrates, isn't it somewhere around here that they say Boreas seized Orathia from the river? That's Boreas is a wind god and Orathia is a beautiful maiden. Hmm. So it's a myth. And they're walking along and Socrates is walking along with this young man who's trying to figure out the meaning of life and all the, uh, you know all this stuff what happens to the soul after it dies blah 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 and uh or after the body dies sorry I I should say better yeah and so yeah boreas uh isn't this where the wind god sees that young woman from the river isn't this the actual spot it looks like this cer- and then Phaedrus says certainly the water looks charmingly pure and clear it's just a place for girls to be playing beside the stream so this looks you know like it matches up in the myth socrates says um well, actually, you know, the tradition says it was about a quarter of a mile lower down where you cross close to the sanctuary of Agra. That, there's a, an altar there dedicated to Boreas right there. And Phaedrus says, I've never really noticed it, that, uh, Socrates, but do you believe that story to be true? So here we have Plato Ooh. is actually diving into the meaning of the myths. And Socrates says, I should be quite in the fashion if I disbelieved it, as men of science do. I might proceed to give a scientific account of how the maiden, while at play with pharmakia I guess that's her her Mm -hmm. companion, was blown by a gust of Boreas down from the rocks, and having thus met her death, was said to have been seized by the god of the wind. Though it may have happened on the Areopagus, according to another version of the occurrence. For my part, Phaedrus, I regard such theories as no doubt attractive. So these theories have a certain attraction to them, but... I regard them as attractive, but as the invention of clever industrial people, industrious people who are not exactly to be envied. So that's the kind of a way of saying the kind of people who you don't want to be. Those are kind of the these are the these theories are attractive, but they're not they're not wise. The the people who are dreaming them up are not the they're they're spending a lot of energy in the wrong direction. For my part, uh, then he says uh, he talks about. Gorgons and Perseuses and Pegasuses and the Chimera and other monsters. And he says, I myself certainly have no time for the business. And I'll tell you why, my friend. I can't as yet know myself as the inscription at Delphi enjoins. And so long as that ignorance remains, it seems to me to be ridiculous to inquire into extraneous matters. Okay. What's going on? Let me... I, I apologize for reading a long passage, but I think it's really illustrative because Plato is obviously, he's telling you something, but not necessarily directly. He's like putting it into a story. And Socrates is saying, there's people who try and explain this all different ways, but I don't get caught up in it because I don't yet know myself. And until Mm -hmm. I know myself, I'm not going to chase after speculation. And so, I think that's a hint from Plato, a very strong hint that the, the myths—deep
1: to what are beautiful. they
2: actually about? What are the myths yeah. actually about? What are they trying to point you towards? Knowing yourself. So it's about knowing yourself. Once you know yourself, but don't chase after. So who's the devil? Who's Satan? Is did a Socrates would say, know yourself, and look, is there is there an accuser inside of you? Do you have, do you have a part of you that plays the role of the, you know, the devil goes around sabotaging things or doing things to harm others. Do you have a part of you that sometimes takes over? Let's say, you know, you, you, you have, let's say you have an addiction. I'm not saying either any of us have an addiction, but let's just say for the sake of hypothetical that an addiction sometimes becomes so strong that it just totally takes you over like completely like you're like your brain you feel like your brain has just been like invaded by an alien that just takes over and you've got to have that whatever it is whether it's pornography or drugs or whatever it is it sugar takes over your brain now is that you could say well, maybe that was the devil that took over my brain <laughs> externally is that possible yes sure it is it could be but it could also be from one of your parts um, of you that it's trying to put out a certain trauma or a certain trauma is welling up. And, you know, you find that you particularly fall into that overwhelming need when you felt like you really screwed something up or when you felt like you really some kind of ancient trauma came bubbling up. And then all of a sudden that took over your brain. And if you explain it to someone else, well, I got took over by this external thing. They might say, well, that's a nice excuse, but really it's you. It's some part of you. So is there a devil outside of us? I don't know, but we certainly have an adversary inside of us that, that, that um, will make us do things. And it almost feels like you're being taken over by something else, like a demon possession or whatever. Is demon possession real? Potentially, but Socrates would say, I'm not going to get too speculative here. I want to know myself. What I'm saying is, Is there an external Jesus? Maybe. I think it's internal, but if you want to believe that there's an external, literal, historical, that's fine. I believe it has to do with higher self and knowing and reconnecting with higher self. And same thing with an external devil or the the devil, the Satan figures in the myths, in the stories. This is the Bible. We have Loki plays... figure that's an adversary. He comes into the hall of the gods and starts accusing and making fun of and calling out all the, and belittling all the gods and goddesses. He'll say, oh, you know, Thor, what about that time when your wife, you know, he's like there to criticize and put down and make you feel like shit. And, and love Loki for that. and, 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 and we have that aspect. We, we don't need an external Loki to do that inside our own head. We already have that voice inside of us, right? Like, I mean, we we do have that um, critical, uh, at least I have a critic voice that is at least as effective as Loki at making me feel, you know, about three inches tall, right? So that, I believe that power, that force, that energy is what the myths are depicting with these figures that are like the, 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 negative form of Satan, the adversary, the word Satan means accuser. And Satan is certainly, um, but he's actually one of the many different parts in the Bible, in the book of Job, you know, all the angels are coming together and Satan comes too, and God says and talks to Satan. And it's like, he's one of the parts. He's one of the, you have all these different aspects to who you are and even the accuser part can actually play a role that helps you get better in some ways. I'm not saying that doing harmful things to people, I'm not talking about that, you know, Dan, you were mentioning that you're reading the Bhagavad Gita or listening to it. And the Bhagavad Gita's message over and over is do what's right without attachment or act, do the right thing, do your duty without worrying about the outcome. Now, Satan, you know, satanic, Evil. There are evil. The, the whole Bhagavad Gita is before this giant battle of Kurukshetra, and the bad guys are truly bad guys in that battle. The they're called the uh, it's the Pandavas versus the uh, Kauravas, and the Kauravas are led by just a hideous, you know, evil guy who's always doing negative, put down, you know, putting down people, debasing people, degrading people, taking what's theirs horrible things so it's not that there's no such thing as evil i'm not don't misconstrue what i'm saying don't don't misinterpret what i'm saying the bhagavad-gita says do what's right without worrying about the outcome not do whatever the hell you want and don't worry about the outcome that would be you know kill people steal do whatever you want don't worry about the outcome that's like the core of us that's negative that's evil that's satanic but what I'm saying is that the myths are talking about something that's going on inside of us. It may also be going on in the energetic realm. Like, are there demons? Maybe. But like Socrates in this story, I'm going to focus on the know thyself aspect of it. Because I think that's what it's really for sure about. For sure, it's about something that's going on inside your own head. Yeah. Like when, when that addiction takes over me. Or when that anger takes over me and, and just I turn into a monstrous, angry, yelling jerk. um, That's for sure going on inside of me. I can deal with those issues. I think I want to do the know thyself work first and then speculate on whether there's, you know, demons running around out there, too.
0: Is there? <laughs> what's the opposite constellation of Ophiuchus, though?
2: Okay, so actually... Um, if
0: Satan's the adversary to God or Jesus, what so is the, way the, we what is Satan the opposite? With,
2: yeah, so well, Ophiuchus is, is actually right next to Sagittarius. He's in between he or she. Ophiuchus can play a female figure just as often. Athena, the goddess, is an Oph- yeah. Ophiuchus figure. Um oh, really? the goddess of wisdom, yeah. Uh, just as Solomon is an Ophiuchus figure, and he's the wisest king. Oh. So, um, But wisdom can be used negatively or positively. But anyway, Ophiuchus is in between Sagittarius and Scorpio. And Scorpio, so sometimes in the Bible, Jesus will say he will describe hell or, you know, the eternal fire as the place where that their worm will not turn. The worm will not turn and the fire does not die out. That's talking about Scorpio is the worm that doesn't turn. And it's right in the Milky Way, which is the fire that doesn't die out there's the passage in revelation where the bottomless pit is opened and there's scorpion people come out and they have stingers like scorpions. And they are, that's in revelation chapter nine. I want to say nine. I, I could be wrong. Um, that's talking about Scorpio and Sagittarius and the way we depict the devil with a, you know, kind of a, a like a reptilian tail, Mm -hmm. and horse's feet is associated with the constellation Sagittarius, which Sagittarius has a lot of positive connotations too. Um, But the, the Satan figure, the way that figure has been depicted or imagined has a lot of Sagittarius aspects. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, evidence to argue that the character of Satan, when he's talking to God or talking to an angel is Sagittarius and Sagittarius is right next to Ophiuchus and Ophiuchus plays an angel. Mm. And so when God uh, brings in all the angels and Satan comes along too, that's Sagittarius next to Ophiuchus. Wow. wow. Yeah. I'd I, have to show it to you to really yeah, drive home these arguments. But
0: I looked it up on the internet real quick and it said, Osiris was the opposite in uh, the, like the constellations of Ophiuchus.
2: Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Um, well, so Sagittarius and Ophiuchus and Scorpio are all down at the very bottom of the year. So if you imagine a zodiac wheel, oh,
0: okay, yeah, yeah, where
2: exactly. the you know the sun goes down to its lowest point in the sky for the northern hemisphere, not for the southern hemisphere. I'm doing some sphere mongering secretly <laughs> uh, to give your listeners, yeah. listeners some subtle subtle hints that we have a sphere. Um, <laughs> I got that from Graham on grammar. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the lowest the lowest point that the sun goes is at the winter solstice or the december solstice for the northern hemisphere is our winter it's actually the summer height, height of summer for australia wherever australia is right so um that lowest point that's the lowest point of hell darkness mm. and that's where sagittarius Scorpio and Ophiuchus are all located. And why is that? Because that's where the turn back upwards also happens. That's where the second birth actually happens. That's where, so we're actually, I've put out a video somewhere along the line where I argue, and I'm not the first to say this, that this lower realm that's being described as hell, that's where we are right now. And it's not, we're in the place
1: cosmologically of, speaking,
2: yeah, so uh, metaphor, esoterically speaking, we're in the lower realm, we're not in the higher realm right now. We're in the realm of ignorance and mixture with physical and, and, and darkness, yeah. So that's why the Satan figure is located down there at the lowest point. At the lowest point, uh,
0: I just thought it was interesting because Osiris is also associated with, uh, like Enki. And like Enki plays the stereotype, stereotypical Satan figure or Luciferian figure in, in the mythos. And, uh, you can get into all kinds of myths associated with him, but it seems like he also has split himself into many pieces and he is encompassing many different aspects. And, uh, like he's Prometheus, he's Neptune, he, he's, uh, you know, Satan... Like
1: was, Osiris was cut apart, you mean? Is
0: that what Yeah, you're basically. O- Osiris was oh, okay uh, cut apart in different pieces and spread out all over the world. It's kind of like evil being spread out all over the world. Yeah, the, so
2: I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't uh, see Osiris as uh, an evil figure. Okay. Uh, and Prometheus, you know, so Prometheus is also bound. You know, the Bible talks about Satan being bound for a thousand mm-hmm. years. Prometheus, um, is, Prometheus is bound and he brings fire. So that's the Lucifer... The Lucifer yeah. aspect is bringing bringing fire down to the lower realm. Okay, that's where we are oh. right now. So okay. it's like the the spark of divine being plunged down into the lower realm, and we are actually, uh, like I said, I mentioned Alvin Boyd Kuhn a lot. He says your you know your body is the burning fire of yeah. the of hell. That's what yeah. you're. You're you're working your way through all those things right now. You you've got the fire wow from heaven, but you've been yeah. it's been plunged down into the lower realm. Anyway, Prometheus is actually a yeah. positive figure, right? But for humans, now, yeah, for humans, right? <laughs> the gods are like well, we've got to punish him. Yeah, <laughs> a, an eagle will eat out his liver. Yeah. he's also he's also an Ophiuchus figure. There's an eagle in the sky, Aquila or Aquila, which in Spanish is uh, Aguila, right? Is an eagle. There's a constellation of an eagle right next to Ophiuchus. Uh, um, and, so and is, yeah, that's right. That's right. Eagles uh. and the serpents. And, and Scorpio is right below the eagle, too. Um, Scorpio is directly below Ophiuchus. So that's, you know, the, like the Mexican flag with the eagle mm-hmm. eating the, Uh, attacking the serpent on the cactus um the the rattlesnake
1: because scorpio uh, can be serpent as well
2: Mm -hmm. that's right so um and ophucus could look like a cactus actually i hadn't thought about that before but um so (laughs) enki enki and enlil are actually it's interesting that you bring them up and enki for sure is associated with ophucus and enlil i would argue is associated with Hercules, but Enki is actually a, a, a benevolent figure towards humanity as well. He's the one who warns yeah. Utta about the flood. And his name, yeah. Enki, it means Lord Mound. And Ophiuchus looks like a mound or a mountain. And Enlil means mm. Lord Wind. So that's oh, the, um, and that's a different constellation. So all these, they're all using the same system. Yeah. Um, the, but Alvin Boyd Kuhn, who, like, I, I refer to him a lot, and I did some, you know, as I'm thinking about how I'm going to try and explain this, he really focuses on this is trying to tell you about your condition right now. We are in this lower realm trying to work things out. And the bringing of the fire, the spirit, the, you know, the spark, the divine spark, the the spark of the gods, the fire of the gods down into the, the clay that's what prometheus was doing he created the people out of the clay and he was sad that they didn't have you know the spark of divine sparks we so brought down he snuck the fire down to mankind that's actually a benevolent um, thing but he gets punished for it um and loki gets bound the exact same way to a rock and dripped venom on so these figures loki you know people People will say, "Oh, Loki is a Satan figure," and he is depicted with horns in in some artwork that you can find on stones, like in yeah. um, uh, Inki also, like. yeah. And and um, Ophiuchus figures will sometimes be depicted with horns. So there's a, and there's a constellational reason for that. So the Ophiuchus figure is like the intermediary between the heaven and and the realm that we're in, or between the zodiac and the divine realm, and that's what yourself. Yourself is like the intermediary. That that's where the divine spark comes down to us through is through self. So reconnecting with self. I know. <laughs> that's why I'm saying all these myths are about reconnecting with self to to experience all that stuff that they're talking about is on an esoteric level to try and tell you the more you get in touch with self, that's where your creativity comes from. Like when an artist, you know, musician will say, "Well, I don't know where that song came from. It just felt like it came from." Yeah, you know, yeah. like heaven somewhere or the gods just gave it to me that's that's what your your higher self will lead you towards those things but it's that's what the myths are trying to point you towards
1: there's something crazy about that too like you just say because i i love playing music it's like one of my biggest passions trying to make money playing music is like seemingly not because i'm not the business i'm not that guy who's like really good at music and then also an amazing savvy businessman unfortunately but um but when i I lived in hawaii for a long time on the big island and it has you know an active volcano that's like currently always just has a caldera filling with yeah. lava right and it's just thinking about energy and um magmatic energy okay we're talking about yeah. life source energy coming at, um to surface from maybe the center wherever it comes from you know and when i was in hawaii i i would just continuously keep writing songs and i'd literally just ha it just happens because it but then i come here and like there's it's so hard for me to really get into tune and focus you know and i'm like wondering what these locations geographically on earth have to do with symbolizing different parts of the constellation or um you know these parts of transformation and like like, are we supposed to travel all over the world throughout our life to fulfill some of the cycle?
2: Yeah. Interesting question. Um, What I'll say is that there's a book by John Michelle and Christine Roan that actually Scott Onstott told me about, and um, it's called 12 Tribe Nations. And it talks about how all around the world, the nations would set themselves up in this way that would, That would enhance creativity and people living up to their full potential and expressing themselves and being able to make, you know, these amazing ships and artwork. And, um, you don't need to go around the world to a certain spot. What you have to do is get in harmony at the spot that you're at. Yeah. So, straight up. Um, but I do think that there are places on earth where those kind of energies are just kind of bubbling out, but uh, it's a great question. Yeah, Definitely I know, not I, Starbucks, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, can we create a society that's that's more harmonious or can we create a society that's more trauma-inducing? And it's yeah. like we're creating one that's more trauma-inducing instead of more harmonious. And Ethan, what we want Ethan, to do is figure out how to do the other.
1: Yeah. It's man. crazy. Like even then, because thinking about Star, did you just say or standard? Did I hear... No, no, I didn't. Starbucks. Star, okay, so Starbucks. star forts, you know, uh, <laughs> were they're, they're like a type of um, architecture, like a um, geometric type of of yeah. st- structuring a town, structuring a, a place, right? Energetically, so our ancestors knew everything about resonance, and they knew everything about energy and connection to the cosmos, and so on and so forth. And we're being traumatized even down to the core of not being built, like not being connected to our city and understanding those types of energetic forces are at play. Like that's automatic traumatizing. Every, everything in society. It's seemingly built that way. And it's, I'm, it's so suspect and it's so annoying. I, 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 it's hard to break out of it. And it's hard to, it's hard to even want to continue to, 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 to keep fighting the good fight because it's so fucking difficult when you know this kind of shit and you like learn this stuff. And like, you're, you, I like for me, I'm like, I, I, society is so, it's been built on some just really sketchy grounds. Yeah. I, I feel often a cat like outcast from it, you know, and it's yeah. it's hard to connect back in there and hard to maneuver around life a lot of times.
2: Well, and I think there's there's I think there's forces that want you to feel that way, and uh, but you're expressing something really important, really powerful. And I know we're coming up on yeah, yeah. two hours and forty minutes. I got to let my dog out before he. Uh, oh sorry. <laughs> No, but uh but this is a great place I think to kind of wrap up with some positive. You know what you said i I appreciate your sharing those kinds of feelings and um you know because i i i totally feel that too of um it's so overwhelming like oh man it's like the trauma-inducing forces are winning but the whole bhagavad-gita is arjun at the start of the battle he actually has all the weapons to win he's got all the tools that he needs to win but he's filled with doubt and he sits down on the ground and he says i just don't know if i want to even get into this battle i just don't know what right when i don't know how it's going to work out
0: self-doubt
2: i don't know which side is right i don't you know i don't know if i'm doing the right thing and krishna his divine charioteer higher self he's not going to fight the battle for arjun but he's going to drive the chariot for arjun he's going to Give Arjun the words of encouragement and wisdom, because Arjun has everything he needs to to be victorious. He's actually gone up to heaven and received these different celestial weapons in the story of Mahabharata, that Bhagavad Gita is part of. He's got everything he needs, but he's full of doubt. And you know the the people who are going against the, you know. The pattern of the ancients, the gods, the arrangements that we used to know, they're the ones who are the, the wrong ones, right? It's like we've got all the, we've got all this, all the ancient myths, all that wisdom. The, yeah, they're appropriating it and using it for the wrong purposes. But the ancient myths say, you know, it doesn't work out very well for King Midas. He has to, yeah, he has to go back to Dionysus and say, okay, I finally learned my lesson. I was wrong. And I think everyone can finally learn that lesson. Even the king Midas yes. is, you know, even the people who are doing the wrong things, they're a potential ally if they could just wake up like King Midas did.
1: And Yeah, they'd be powerful as well and it would be they a, could do a huge so good. Hit.
2: Yeah, they could yeah. do so much good. And so I think we got to not like Arjun despair. We got to listen to the, you know, the 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 message of Krishna is don't worry about the outcome, Arjun. Worrying about the outcome is going to just fill you with doubt. You actually have everything you need. Just do what's right. And don't be so concerned with saying, well, if I do this, I still don't think we'll win. Just If it's the right thing, just do it anyway. That's that's what the Bhagavad Gita, but I could point to a different, you know, I could point to many different myths. Perseus going to fight Medusa. I use that a lot because it's so encouraging to me. Could Perseus defeat Medusa? Not without the help of the gods, he couldn't. It's an impossible task. How do you defeat something? If you look at it, it turns you to stone. How do you fight that? It's impossible. Epic
1: story. An epic story, by
2: the way. But if you listen, but the the gods are there to help and give him the tools he needs. Hey, Perseus, we're not going to fight Medusa for you, but I will give you these winged sandals. I will give you this cap of invisibility. I'll give you this shield that's reflective. And, uh, so it's just like Arjun. He got help from the gods. He got the tools that he needed, but he still had to go do it. And yet, even though it's a seemingly impossible task, and even though it's hard to figure out which way is right, it's like, oh, am I even going to make the right choice here? Well, if you just try and do what's right without worrying about the outcome, Krishna says, that's, what, that's all you can do. And so, I think, uh, you know, I I appreciate that you expressed that. Um, I think it's a great kind of place to end on a positive note. Yeah, for sure. We're sitting here, it's like we're facing a task as impossible as Perseus or as uh, perplexing as Arjun was facing in the Battle of Kurukshetra in Bhagavad Gita and Mahabharata, And yet, we do actually have everything we need. The gods or the divine realm are on the side of Doing what's right to build up the nations and help the people, not beat them down and traumatize them. And that's the wrong thing. So if we're if we're doing the right thing, the gods are actually they. It's shown over and over in the myth, That's what they want to have happen. And the mightiest yeah. choice is going to end up with a disaster. Yeah. Excellent. So thank you. So, <laughs> that was uh, very, beautiful. That is a beautiful way. I yes. appreciate your question.
0: Very well done. Very well said. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, David, for joining us on the show today. We appreciate it. Uh, I, I really, it a great insight into the Star Mist. Um, I mean, it's even more great insight into just self-realization and uh, all that, man. Uh, man, so many thoughts going through my mind right now about, you know, all these things. Um, lots to chew on here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that this all fits in, right in with the whole concept that we're working with this month. And it, it definitely is going to shed some light on some, some things for some people. Um, and so I, I think it's going to make them kind of internalize and really kind of think out, you know, what, what their life path is and what, what they're doing with it. And, uh, I think that's, that's all we can. That's the best thing that we can get out of it, too, you know. Um, So, uh, yeah, thank you. And tell the people where they can find you at. And uh, maybe some of the different books of because you've wrote books on the Norse myths, uh, on biblical. And what are some of the other ones that you've uh, wrote about in the star myths?
2: Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Dan and Roman. I, I I appreciate the long form, you know, format. I appreciate the work that you guys put into doing this. I appreciate people who've listened through this whole thing. (laughs) Yes. Thank you guys so much. You know, it's, I appreciate the chance to get my message out to, you know, people who maybe haven't heard it before, but also I appreciate questions that I haven't heard before that, you know, let me, uh, cause me to think about some things and bring out some other sides of what I've been working on um, so my main website is called undying uh, no it's called well I've got a website called undyingstars.com that's where I'm putting together some courses now so I've got two courses that are out there. It's called the undying Stars Academy so undyingstars.com is where my first two courses they're laying out the foundations and then I've got a one coming up on the Bible that's going to be released pretty soon. My main website with all my different books on there is called starmythworld.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, starmythworld on Instagram. And so in the link in the bio on Instagram, I've got one of those link trees just like you guys have mm-hmm. that'll take you to the podcast archive, that'll take you to the courses, that'll take you to the books, that'll take you to videos I've made, you know, many dozen videos. Blog, I've got a blog with like over Twelve hundred uh, blog posts out there. Wow! So, Are you Myth uh, World on, on YouTube Instagram. also? Uh, so on YouTube, it's actually called Matheson Corollary. That was the name of my very first book, um, and uh, there's a link to my YouTube channel in that link tree on Instagram too. Okay. So for a lot of people now, nowadays, I think Instagram is like the easiest <laughs> hub to find all my stuff.
0: Yeah,
2: because that link tree will take you to all of them. But Myth World is kind of my longest running website and my new my new thing is so i got 10 books but um but i also have this course now because a lot of this stuff really lends itself well to videos because it's very visual the books have a lot of pictures and star charts too but uh All right. so my latest project is working on some courses so i've got a couple of courses up there now that are talking about this system and this language and this um in the celestial mechanics that we've talked about a little bit of precession things like that, how the moon works, what the ecliptic is, what a solstice is, what an equinox is, all that and how it fits into the system. That's on undying stars.com. So I just Excellent. hit you with a whole bunch of stuff, but nice. you can get it all through the Excellent. Instagram.
0: Uh, yeah, man, that's amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we would love to have you back on the show. I really wanted to get into uh, the Southern hemisphere and kind of the star myths that come from there and what, civilizations uh have these southern star myths uh southern hemisphere of star myths uh because it seems it almost seems like they're all northern to me like you know we mentioned a bunch of them but it seems like they all have northern connotations so i'm interested in finding out what civilizations have uh the, the southern star myths uh, yeah, in their, in their stuff yeah and no, No,
2: It's a great point. And I'll just quickly, quickly say that from pretty much everywhere on Earth, you can see the zodiac. Like if you imagine, just imagine that the Earth is a sphere. I know some people may, you know, turn off their phones right here. But <laughs> if the Earth is a ball sitting in the middle of a room, you know, your bedroom, let's say, or your office or your living room or your kitchen, there's a ceiling, there's four walls, there's a the floor. If you're on the tippy top of the ball, you can see the ceiling, but you can also see the walls on either side, right? Mm -hmm, Down mm -hmm. to a certain point, down to a certain point. Well, the Zodiac is about halfway around the wall, like it's halfway up the walls all the way around. So you can even see it from the tippy top of the ball, but it'll be right down by the horizon. You won't hardly be able to see it. But the further south you go, the more you'll be able to see the the stuff on the wall. Eventually, you'll be able to see the floor, too, if you go far enough. From the top of the ball, you can't see the floor, right? Right. From the bottom of the ball, you can't see the ceiling. But from just about anywhere on the ball, you can see the walls, okay? So the constellations of the Zodiac are in the middle of the walls, okay? So you have to have
1: south to get the full picture.
2: Well, everywhere on Earth, you can pretty much see them, but they are going to be upside down when you get to the bottom half of the ball. When I went to New Zealand, Orion— but it's just like if there's a the poster on my wall, like your poster there, the Sasquatch with the, you've got a Phoenix yeah. and you've got, yeah. okay. If I'm on a ball and I'm looking at that poster, the Sasquatch is going to be standing up. But if I get to the bottom, uh, the ground is still going to be beneath my feet because I'm being pulled to the center of the ball. But as I'm looking out at the wall, I'm upside down. The Sasquatch is going to look upside down to me down there. That's
1: like tarot uh, and, taro and hermeticism almost. It's like hermetic uh, kind of has a vibe of like, oh, the tarot card is upside down depending uh, on yeah, what yeah. you're, wow. That's, uh, that's, that's quite fascinating. We'll let you go, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll, let's great, go back into it. Questions. Thank you so much, <laughs> yeah.
0: brother.
2: All right. Thank you. Hey, uh, Hey, you. I hope you got it all on tape, but if you didn't, is great talking just to you guys. Yes, <laughs> that was really fun. Take care, Dan and Roman. Thank you,
1: thank you, brother.